Hello, hello, everybody. Stefan Molyneux from Freedom Main Radio. Hope you're doing well. So, yes, it was a great and intense uh, set of questions in the call-in show. And the first was a fellow calling in from Greece. He's a smart guy, well-educated, and he knows he's got a good set of horsepower between his ears. He says, can I plan my life based on my IQ? And we talked a little bit about that, what you can and can't plan, at least in my opinion, based on your intelligence. And then we switched to the fall of Greece, the first domino that may bring down Europe as a whole, his experience of the migrants, what's going on there, what the view from the ground is. Fascinating, fascinating chat. And uh, really, really appreciated that. A second question. Oh, we're talking about sex, baby. And is there such a thing as an inborn or genetic preference when it comes to a sexual partner? Well, the oft quoted, we got to have chemistry to make the beast with two backs. And we talked about uh, where sexual preferences might come from biologically, culturally, and from an evolutionary standpoint. Number three, third question, property rights. Can people move to unowned land or on owned land without permission from a third party, without the state. And uh, yeah, we, we ended up talking about Israel, which I thought was quite interesting. It's a really great show, freedomainradio.com slash donate to help us out. As always, thank you so much for listening. Enjoy. All right. Well, up first is Jim. Jim wrote in and said, can I plan my life based on my IQ? For example, can I manage my expectations for my future self or my future economics through my IQ score? That's from Jim. Well, hello, Jim. How you doing? Hello. Uh, I'm pretty anxious, but I'm doing well. All right. So do you think you have a high IQ? Uh, I have 126. Oh, good. Good. Glad to hear it. Um, and so do you feel that there's a profession that you would like to pursue that your IQ might not give you the latitude to pursue? I don't know. I just got my mathematics degree yesterday. Uh, the last uh, subject came. And now I'm a mathematician. Uh, I I would like to work on finance and mathematical modeling. I don't know uh, if I have a problem working there. I think I can work there. Right. Now, I've I've heard, just so you know, I've heard sort of two arguments around this. The first is that it doesn't matter how high your IQ is um, after a certain point. I don't know what that cutoff is for, for some. It's, uh, you know, sort of 100, 120, that kind of thing. Um, and after that, it doesn't really matter what your IQ is because you can do just about anything you want. Now, other people have, have said that it does actually matter what your IQ is above that certain uh, amount. So I don't know what the answer is at all. And so um, it seems to me that where you are and with the skills that you have, there shouldn't really be anything that you can't achieve if you want, if that makes any sense. Yes, it, it makes some sense. Uh, I would like, I think, if I am in a workplace, how quickly am I going to raise there? With what, uh, what's my, what uh, my expectations should be on that place? You mean how quickly, well, where, where do you want to get in your career? Where, where do you want to get to? I would like to make a lot of money. That's the truth. <laughs> I have okay. my girlfriend uh, and we're, go we're planning to marry and go abroad. Yep. And have three children and 
she will stay with them and that will work. So we need a lot of money, a lot of cheese. And what does your girlfriend do? Uh, my girlfriend is not currently working, me neither. No, but what does she do when she's, what, what's she trained for? She trained on languages. She knows uh, Russian, Bulgarian, Greek, English, French. Right. So, um, what, uh, what, what will she be doing with that skill set? Uh, we don't know. We have no idea. I see. Uh, well, now I just finished and I would, I'm starting uh, sending my resume uh, in different companies. And wherever I go, she comes with me. Okay. When do you want to get married? How long until you get married? This year, in some months. And how long have you been going out with your girlfriend? Four years. Four years, okay. And have you always wanted to make a lot of money? I, I want to have an easygoing life. I don't want to be tough on everyday things. Uh, every, forever, I would like to make a lot of money from when I was a kid. And do you guys want to have kids? Yes, three kids. Three kids, all right. And when is that going to start, do you think? After my therapy and her therapy is finished, is completed in about three years from now and have some financial security. So we're planning about three, four years from now. Fantastic. Fantastic. Okay. Well, um, it, it, do you feel that your girlfriend is as smart as you are? Yes, she's 123 IQ. Fantastic. Okay. So uh, it seems that there wouldn't be anything that you can't achieve. Uh, it, it sounds like you have a fast enough car. Uh, now I guess you just need to be a, quote, good enough driver. And, of course, that's what philosophy is aiming to, uh, to, to bring to people's lives, right? That they can be good drivers if they already have fast cars. Fantastic. And even if, and if you don't, it's good to be a, uh, a good driver no matter what. So when it comes to how far you can go and how quickly you can go, in your uh, environment, that is, um, that's up to you, right? So it doesn't sound like there are any particular hardware limits. Now it's just a matter of um, if you're doing therapy, then you're going to have the self-knowledge and so on. Are you going to be entrepreneurial enough? Uh, I assume if you really want to make a lot of money at some point, you might want to start your own company, uh, which means you're going to need emotional skills uh, and leadership skills, but you'll get a lot of those out of therapy. So it seems to me that uh, you've got it made, uh, as long as, of course, you're willing to do all the work and make the sacrifices that are necessary to achieve uh, a significant amount of wealth. That's really good. <laughs> I hope so. All right. Is there anything else that you wanted to ask? I don't know if there's anything else. I'm still pretty anxious, so... Uh... Okay. Well, that's fine. Listen, I mean, uh, congratulations. Uh, it sounds like uh, you guys are all set uh, to, to roll. And um, it sounds like you have a great life. It's interesting. Do you, do you know if a lot of smart people are uh, leaving Greece at the moment? All of the smart people are leaving Greece. All of the smart people are leaving Greece. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. I was in a really good school, a private school. And most of my friends... And I left already, and the remaining are planning to leave. So, 
no one's yeah <laughs> and who's so and what are the primary things that are making you want to leave greece at the moment I always wanted to leave Greece. Uh, oh, okay, but is it accelerating more recently, or now I don't have a choice. Now I don't have a choice. The unemployment rate is ninety-five percent or something. You can take a job only uh, a waiter or something like this, uh, or a doorman in a club, club something like this. You can have a, a real job. You can you, you can have a career here. Uh, so it's not a, it's not a choice anymore, but we always wanted to live. Is the mentality of the people here pretty disturbing? They always uh, they they don't want to work. They want to be uh, in the public sector. Two thousand to two thousand and nine, when the economy was booming, everyone tried to take a place uh, to take a place in. The public sector. They were going to the politicians and said, "Please take my daughter or my son or my nephew and make him a public worker." And the mentality is like this: go to the public uh, sector, make some little money, and live small. Right. And this is not a good mentality. <laughs> Well, it, it's good if you're not that smart, and the public sector is a big step up in terms of your capacity to make money. That it's probably a a pretty good deal, right? Yes, it is. But not only the dumb people are go- want to go there, or also the smarter people want to go there, and the average go- and the average person wants to go there. Is there no? Uh... Is there no particular goal or desire for entrepreneurship? Even if you have, now you can't open a store. Uh, right, right now, the whole country, the roads are not working because uh, they want to um, change the tax code and pay huge taxes. And uh, it is crazy. You can't open anything here. It's really tough. All the so, all the uh, all the companies went to Bulgaria, even Albania. They they are leaving Greece from years years from the two thousand and nine ten. Everyone left. Everyone who who could who could move their business abroad, they moved it. Right. And uh, is there any sense that the smart people are leaving the country? That there's desperation, uh, like of the people who remain, is there a sense of like everybody's getting off the Titanic and you know we're down here uh, in in the uh, in the boiler rooms? The people who are staying here and mostly the the older guys, they say no, you should not leave the country, stay here and fight for your country. <laughs> Why do you laugh at that? Do you think that's impossible? Uh, it's not only possible, but they made the country uh, they made the country as it is now, and they are asking for us to stay here and make it good again. Do you think they just want you to stick around because they need their pensions? <laughs> of course, they need the pensions, but I don't think that they know that we have to stay here to get their pensions. I think they have they have in their mind that. Their money are coming from 
somewhere, like the rain. They don't understand how the money comes. I have, I have that, uh, I have that feeling. The average Greek guy don't understand how the economics work. Well, I guess they understand how their personal economics work, right? They understand that um, they want to make more money than the market would probably otherwise provide them by being in the public sector. But I guess it's just magic money that somehow comes into their bank accounts, and they probably have some dim sense that it's people like you who need to stick around to pay what they want, but the conditions necessary for you to stay probably remain a bit unclear to them, like what you would need. Like, what would you need in Greece to stay? Opportunity to work. Uh, and not only that, even if I had the opportunity to work, I would left anyways. Because it's, it's the mentality here. How, how the people is working in their everyday life Whatever it happens, uh, they don't take responsibility for themselves. It's always someone else's fault. Uh, Even uh, I made a small research and I saw that in every elections until 2010 or something like this, everyone in Greece, 99% and more, were voting. So everyone was voting here. And... After that, from the 2010 and after, everyone says, oh, all these politicians came came and take uh, our money and corrupted uh, our country. And these politicians came out of the people. And now the people say these politicians are really bad. They don't understand that they voted for for them for the last 30 years. Uh, And all of them. So it's how the people is working, what they have in their mind. I think the Greek crisis will continue for many years. I think until the median Greek guy understands that socialism doesn't work. Yeah, it's a bit of a death spiral because as the smart people leave, the dumb people who are left tend to vote for more and more socialistic policies. And that drives more of the smart people out. And the only way to reverse that cycle is to have the smart people come back But the less intelligent the voting population is, the less likely any smart people are to ever come back. I mean, you know, what would it take for you if you're over, if you're overseas, you set up your career, you've got your kids, they're in school, they've got their friends, you've got your friends, you're in your neighborhood. What would it take for you then after 10 years to move back to Greece and feel that you could be secure and that it was a great decision? I mean, it would be, it would take a lot, right? Well, I'm not sure if it can happen. (laughs) <laughs> I don't know how I can be sure for and go come back and why to come back. If I I have if I have my family there, my friends there, why should I come back? Yeah, and what if they're just luring you back? What if they're just luring you back with a little bit of freedom? And then after they give you a little bit of freedom, they'll take it away. I mean, why would you want to risk that, right? <laughs> yes. Uh, I I, th- I can't find something to come back. And this, this cycle literally can go on for like a thousand years sometimes. And the tragedy is it takes a giant war or a famine or a plague or something like that to clear off the deadwood so that smart people can reemerge. I mean, this is, I, I don't want any of that. It's just a historical fact that uh, once the, once the less intelligent get their death grip on the political system, you know, it's hard enough to change the minds of smart people. <laughs> 
I mean, try changing the minds of dull people, and uh, you might as well try to, to talk a tree into learning how to fly. They have to feel the pain. Yeah, they don't learn for reasons, so they have to learn through suffering, like every addict. Now, how is the migrant stuff showing up for you guys these days? Oh, that's a huge problem. That's a huge problem. Last week, they wanted, or last month, I don't remember exactly, they want to move uh, thousands of immigrants close to my girlfriend's uh, house. And thousands of people, I, I think 2,000 people, went there to protest against the, the migrants. And the, the television said it was only 60, 60 people. And there were 2,000. And the papers wrote that there were 200. And uh, the gypsies here uh, said that if you bring immigrants here, uh, we will kill them one by one. So uh, it is pretty tough. And I'm in the second biggest city here. And we have plenty of immigrants years now. Uh, but in Athens, it's much, much worse. Much, much worse. You can't even think about it. The, the, the center of, of Athens, you can't go there. You can't go in the center of Athens. What do you mean? You, you can't go? Why? Why? You, there, there are no white people. There are minority there. But uh, what happens if white people go into the center of Athens? Plenty of robes. Uh, in the past years, now now I have no idea. The last year, I have no idea what's happening there. I had a friend who lived in the center of Athens. Now he moved. So I don't take everyday information on the center of Athens. Uh, but I, in the last years, it was pretty, pretty bad with robes. A rob happened in front of me. Wow. I went there for two days in the rob. A girl, uh, a woman, someone took her purse. Um, now there are even more immigrants there, and there's a great, great problem. They even go to uh, to the streets. They camp there. They camp in the streets, in the squares. It is a really big problem. Yeah, and it's, it's just sort of struck me, of course, a lot of these people are going to come across with medical problems, with dental problems, and so on. So they must be pushing aside some of the native Greeks who actually just want to get to a dentist or a hospital or a doctor, right? I mean, isn't there a lot of uh, standing in line now that there may not have been as much of before? The hospitals here, here are really bad anyway, so uh, I don't think it makes a big difference. No, no one... No one uh, if you can't, if you have the money to go on the private uh, hospital, you go on the private hospital. If you don't have the money, you pray and go on a public hospital. It's really, they're really bad. If you Google and see some photos, you will understand. Right, right. And um, what do you think is going to happen going forward in, in this uh, situation, this environment? Uh, okay, the the golden race, the party, the Nazi party. Nazis, really? Nazis? 
Yes, really? that's how they call them, and they. No, okay, though, hang on, hang on. That's that's how they're called. I don't think you want to. Like you told me that it was two hundred. The media reported two hundred when it was two thousand. So you wouldn't want to use the the Nazi media for this. That's uh, the leader of the party has swastika in his arm. Oh, so they are genuine Nazis, right? So the swastika is the whole deal, right? Uh, yes, they draw was vast. They're not just called Nazis, like everyone who's not a total cuck is called a Nazi in, in Europe. So, okay. When when someone calls them Nazi, they say, no, we are not Nazi. We love Greeks and things like this. But they have swastikas all over their bodies. Right? Maybe they're using the Tibetan swastika, which means peace of mind rather than... Uh... Something like this. I think uh, they are going to... Uh, they will be in power in some years. And... The, their other voting, the many times, I have a friend who was in the last elections, uh, and he said that plenty of uh, of votes for that party went uh, to the garbage. So I think they are going. Sorry, to went to the what? power to the garbage. They said that it's not valid or something like this. Okay. okay. They were valid, but they said it's not valid because it has uh, one hearing inside something like this really stupid things right well i mean of course the longer this discussion is suppressed the more ugly its eventual manifestation is going to be like if you push people down you don't listen to them you lie to them and you manipulate them you call them evil for bringing up what are not illegitimate concerns the longer that that uh, necessary discussion gets pushed down uh, and people get repressed and bullied uh, the worse it's going to be, when it spills over, then it will be utterly uncontrollable. And then people will say, aha, this is exactly what we've been fighting against. And it's like, no, the fact that you didn't let people speak, that you shouted them down, manipulated and lied to them, is why you've ended up in this situation. But, of course, people, what will they believe, right? People in the street, when uh, when somebody goes um, from the television and asks them what they think, they say it is really terrible. And they say to them why it is terrible and things like this. And they say, look, if you like, if you like them, come live where we live. Don't live uh, in the uh, good neighborhoods you you are living, you are currently living. Come and live with us, uh, with the immigrants, if you like them so much. Uh, most of the people understand what happens, but uh, those who live in a more secure areas, they say, oh, the immigrants, they don't. Uh, uh, we should not be tough on them and they have the war uh, that's why they left their country and they are pe- there are people like us and things like this yeah i generally don't worry about sharks when i'm not swimming in the sea if i'm if i'm far up on the beach <laughs> i don't look for fins in the sand i get it but uh, when people are closer they And there were, of course, people who used to live or work or want to spend a lot of time in the center of Athens, and now they they can't go. That's for years now. The center of Athens is becoming a ghetto from, I don't know, 2000 or something. It's really a story, really old. Well, it's funny because the economic warfare that was practiced by the Islamists against Europe, and in particular against America, that was fought by luring 
the Americans and the British and the French, I suppose, as well, into these unwinnable wars in the Middle East, right? The graveyard of empires, as it's been called. This economic warfare that was waged against the West is now, has moved from military to welfare, uh, in that they are going to, um, uh, they're coming to Europe and they're going to lean on the welfare state until the European governments come crashing down. Uh, it is, uh, it is a revolutionary act. And I, I think people are just not, they don't understand this. They don't seem to have any clue about this at all, the degree to which uh, it is a form of economic warfare to uh, swarm into a country, to squat on the welfare state, to consume resources until the state collapses. Um, and this is the price, of course, of having a welfare state. Uh, it's like setting out a big plate of honey and then wondering why you're covered in flies. Yes. All right. Well, listen, um, it sounds like um, with your skills and abilities, there's not a huge amount for you to do there. I just cognizant of the fact that I just talked to a German guy uh, where I said, stay and fight. Do you think there's anything that you can do to change things around with your skills in rhetoric and argumentation and intelligence? Is there anything that you feel you can get any traction at all? I mean, when you bring these topics up, uh, I know in in, 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 in private, the Europeans, uh, uh, like the white Europeans, are probably mostly saying, this is not good, right? This is not like, yay, right? Um, but in public, of course, they're afraid of the negative repercussions of the uh, politically correct lefty Sharia-style mobs that, that run around screaming at anyone who dares utter an honest and, and, and uh, accurate sentiment. So do you think that there's any any way to take these private thoughts into some sort of public action in Europe, or is it uh, it's just going to have to play itself out? I, I don't know. Uh, I don't know, but I think in Greece, this is not happening so, so much. The, the media says uh, the poor immigrants, but almost everyone, uh, most of the people, I think, I don't know, this is my experience, uh, I understand that the immigrants are, is a really difficult situation it is already mainstream I, that's what i'm taking i'm not sure if that's the whole truth is there a political party that is there a political sentiment or party that's emerging in greece that is i don't know pro-hellenic that is um not such a keen not not so keen on having all the migrants in but also doesn't have swastikas i mean <laughs> You know, somewhere not uh, in in sort of crazy, evil, totalitarian territory. Uh, is there anything emerging that uh, uh, is? Uh, I don't want to say a compromise because that sounds like halfway to Nazism. It's not a good way of putting it, uh, or an accurate uh, reflection of what I'm thinking. But is there anything emerging that uh, is more for maintaining the existing culture uh, and less with the swastikas? Uh, the last. Five, six years ago, it was one, uh, an old party. Uh, it had something like 5%, but after 2010, uh, it closed and his, uh, th their, the, vo the voters went to Golden Race or something like this, went other, in other parties, because it wasn't radical enough, I think. I don't know. Uh, but it, there is no such a party. New Democracy said, uh, we're saying that, uh, that we will do something for the immigrants for years now, not 
the last year because they're not in power, but they didn't do anything, I think. To my knowledge, I didn't, they didn't do anything. They just saying, 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 but not doing. Well, and of course, as all the smart people leave the country, bringing deferral of gratification, seeing the unseen hidden costs, visible benefits of free market economics to an increasingly retarded population just gets harder and harder. Like as all the smart people leave your school, higher mathematics takes a bit of a blow. <laughs> so if you would have found a party on sort of classical liberal ideas and you've got a population which is sinking down below 90 in IQ, it's not good. there's no, no takers, right? I mean, they, they, they can't even understand the, the weird voodoo you're spouting. They just know that you might be cutting into their pensions with, for which they need to uh, fill their bathtubs with feta cheese or something, right? So that's my, uh, I, that's the challenge, I think, politically in Europe at the moment. I never heard the libertarian idea here in Greece. Not in television, not in papers, not never in once. private conversations. Never once. I learned about uh, libertarianism when I went to a seminar in Bulgaria, summer seminar, for one week. And then there I find what it is to be libertarian. Or For the first time, I had no idea. There is, the statism is for sure. Everyone is a statist, but they argue how the state should work. That's the only argument. Yeah, which way to point the gun, not should there be a gun. Yes, yes, yes. And uh, I studied libertarian ideas through internet, through, through YouTube. Oh, oh yeah? Okay, well, you, do you still have that channel? Uh, uh, I saw uh, Friedman, the Free to Choose series. That was one of the first. Oh, you saw it. I saw. It. I thought you had a channel on YouTube, but these are things that you saw on YouTube. Okay. I learned through YouTube. Right. Okay. Okay. Well, fascinating stuff. Um, you know, I, I, I'm a big one for a stay and fight if there's, you know, any possibility. But uh, if there's no possibility, then it's just a matter of then you're just throwing yourself off a cliff without a parachute. Um, so I'm all for risk, but not for uh, self-immolation. Uh, so, um, yeah, best of luck to you, man. I hope you have more than three kids. Let's get those genes spreading, man. Even if I want to stay, I can't have a job. So <laughs> the mathematicians get paid for four euros per hour. Oh, 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 what can you say? All right. Well, listen, best, best of luck. Yeah, listen, best luck and move on to the next caller. But thanks for calling in. Uh, you know, keep, keep us posted, man. Let us know how, how you do, are you doing? It's, uh, it's great to, to find out about this stuff. Thank you. Thank you for your job. Thanks, man. All right. Up next is Dan number one. Dan wrote in and said, Is there such a thing as an inborn genetic preference when it comes to a sexual partner, or is it environmental conditioning and or past experiences? Do you unconsciously prefer choosing partners who are genetically different from them based on looks, smell, etc., so that they can produce healthy offspring? Furthermore, is there such a thing as a soulmate when it comes to relationships? That's from Dan. Mm. Hey, Dan, how you doing? I'm doing well. How are you doing? Well, so in your experience, Dan, when you meet, I'm going to just go with woman here. Uh, when you meet a woman, do you find that there's sort of an instant chemistry or not? Or do you find that it happens more slowly over time? As far as sexual attraction goes. <laughs> 
Right. So I think it is uh, pretty obvious from the beginning uh, if there is an attraction or if there is not. And what do you find that uh, to be based on in your experience? Um, well, first of all, it's uh, appearance. So uh, maybe bodily features and then also um, behavior, let's say. And uh, what I've found for me personally, um, smell is uh, really is maybe number one, even if the person look, looks really good, but the smell is not appealing. Um, it kind of disqualifies it for me. Right. Okay. So when you say to a woman, you're just too funky for me, it doesn't mean that she's a, a wicked disco dancer. It just means that she might smell like a bear cave full of old cheese. All right. Right. And I, I think that's, um, may, maybe that's preset. So uh, my body basically tells me if uh, that human being is compatible with me or, or not. Yeah. Th there does seem to be some evidence that who we are attracted to at that chemistry level has a good deal of uh, genetic similarity enough but not so much genetic similarity that you're going to start copying bad genes and, and end up with recessive problems and so on. So, yeah, I, I think that there is um, uh, the degree to which even personality is genetic. So personality types tend to mesh. And when you say, well, I feel comfortable with an introvert, in a lot of ways, what you're saying is that my gene set is compatible with the gene set that produces introverts. And of course, every gene set is trying to survive. And so every gene set is going to produce um, pheromones and visual cues and emotional cues that are going to um, draw you more to that which is going to reproduce that gene set. And so that is my uh, sort of understanding. And, you know, people can Google this up and, and look it up. But there does seem to be some ways in which our bodies and our sexual desires try to guide us towards people who are very optimal for us genetically, if that makes sense. Right. So, uh, I looked something up and I found something which is called uh, genetic matching or matchmaking. And uh, they were speaking about human uh, leukocyte antigens, uh, which basically means if those antigens are uh, really different, then um, they will produce uh, like a healthy gene mix. And if they're really similar, um, that comes close to uh, maybe incest. Right. Yeah. So I, I do think that genes uh, and desire are intermingled. Uh, and of course, from an evolutionary standpoint, we would very much expect that to uh, to be the case. And, you know, to, to jump back into the sort of topic of the last couple of months, because it has, I think, a lot to play in this area. Um <clears throat> IQ, one of the reasons that IQ is suppressed in general conversation is, of course, fears and hysteria about um, racism and bigotry and so on, but also because um, IQ is a characteristic or a marker of sexual market value. High IQ people have higher sexual market value, which is why we've become more intelligent over the past 200,000 years since we first decided to peel ourselves up from the ape herd. And so intelligence has high sexual market value, um, particularly, of course, in colder climates, as we've talked about a bunch of times before. 
And so one of the reasons that IQ is suppressed is that IQ, like f- foreign women or women genetically dissimilar is another way of putting it, have a kind of exoticness to them. Uh, and, and that can be um, attractive, of course. But if you understand IQ, then um, it changes, right? The sexual market value of lower IQ populations, the women and the men, tends to go down. And so there's a huge incentive for the lower IQ gene pools as a whole to wish to, to react hysterically and viciously and aggressively when the topic of IQ is broached, because uh, it is going to affect not in terms of individuals, but as a whole, it's going to affect sexual market value. If there are genetic components to IQ, and again, the experts tell me 50 to 80%, if there are genetic components to IQ, then um, what happens is um, you can have a very, um, I don't know, I'm trying to think of the, the way to put it that's the least triggering for people. Um, okay, let's say you want a really not intelligent child, right? You, <laughs> You just want a, a kid who, who's gonna, you, you can prop him down in front of Saturday morning cartoons and, you know, he'll, he'll be watching fail videos until he's 35 and then he'll get a job as a bus driver. You know, like if you want a kid who's, is not gonna challenge you, uh, intellectually too much, uh, it's gonna be kinda easy to, uh, to order around and so on. So if you want a kid that's kinda dull, then, um, your best mating strategy would not be to mate with a top tier, Ashkenazi Jew female lawyer kind of thing or something like that, right? That that's, you wouldn't want that strategy because, um, uh, now you, you wouldn't want the strategy, of course, of even marrying into, uh, a below average intelligence, uh, Ashkenazi Jewish woman. And I say Ashkenazi Jews because they generally tend to score the highest in the IQ spectrum. So if you wanted a dumb kid and you say, well, I found this, you know, um, Ashkenazi woman who's got an IQ of 90, so I'm going to have a kid with her because, uh, no, because there's a, what's called regression to the mean, which means that if Ashkenazi Jews have an average IQ of 115, then the less intelligent Ashkenazi Jews, in other words, those that might be even approaching white averages in terms of IQ, God help them, well, you're going to get a bounce back, right? The genetics are going to catch your kid going upwards. In in the same way, if you have a really smart, uh, um, uh, I don't know, um, Australian Aboriginal, right? It's got an IQ. I don't know what is, what is pushing the meter to red for them. What makes them burn white hot? I don't know. Maybe an IQ of, uh, 90 or something like that, which is way up from, from their average. And you say, okay, well, what's going to happen though is their kids are likely to be much lower than the peak of any individual. And, um, that's, you know, less intelligent parents are likely to have more intelligent children based on the average, more intelligent parents are likely to have less intelligent children than themselves because there's a regression to the mean. And so even if you find some really brilliant individual from a low IQ population, the odds are that if you have a child with that individual, the child will not approach. If you're from a higher IQ population, the child will end up at best somewhere in between, right? So if you have an IQ of 100 and you you have a kid with someone even a very smart person from an IQ gene pool of 85, then your kid's probably going to have an IQ of 90 to 95. And um, once you understand this, I guess Trayvon Martin gets a little clearer in everyone's mind because Trayvon Martin's father was really smart and it doesn't seem like Trayvon Martin was uh, because there's this regression to the mean. And so it's not just like you can't judge 
individuals based upon group aggregates like IQ. However, since there does seem to be a very strong genetic component to IQ, you can say that over time the genetics are going to reassert themselves, right? So what you can't say that all Chinese people must be short because they're a tall Chinese people. However, you can say that um, the children of Chinese people are likely to be shorter, and the children's children, and there's a general regression to the mean, right? There are blips, and then it all settles back down. It's sort of like if you drop a rock into a puddle or into a little pond, there'll be these waves, and then it will settle back down. And so when it comes to genetics and sexual market value, uh, there are groups, of course, who are desperate to have this information not get out about the genetic uh, basis to IQ, and the very smartest people in that group have the most incentive to keep that information suppressed because of the regression to the mean uh, situation. Does that does that make any sense at all? Yeah, definitely, definitely. And and since the most ferocious battles in society are generally fought around sexual market value, uh, this is why I think this politically correct ferocity uh, is is occurring. Right. Um... So what, what do you think um, the environment and the, the upbringing or the parents, uh, what do these three factors, how do they play a role in uh, what people uh, like me find attractive uh, in the opposite sex? So our environment, um, upbringing, parents. Well, I, th I think I personally think environment has a pretty strong effect on what you find sexually attractive. And I think that makes perfect sense. Because... Sexual practices generally conform around what women want, right? Because women are the choosers and men sort of parade in front with these shows and the women choose who they're going to reproduce with. So what women like is what you should be doing. So as far as in environment goes, um, your mother and your father, by definition, were sexually successful people. Again, assuming that you are their child, in particular that you are your father's child, which a lot of times does not, unfortunately, seem to be the case and nobody knows. So you are, if you're a man, you're going to model yourself after your father because your father is your first and primary example of a sexually successful male. So you're going to do what your father did because that's what your mother wanted from men, right? So you're going to do, if you're a mom, so if you're, if you're a daughter, you're going to do what your mom did because she is a sexually, sexually successful female, which is not the most difficult thing in the world to achieve, but you're going to do what your mom did because she's sexually successful and that's what you want to do to, to reproduce. And so I, I do think that one's first exposure to sexuality is something that is heavily imprinting. And I mentioned this before years and years ago. I think I was overseas. I watched, I was like up late. I watched some documentary on fetishes because, you know, I was up late and um, there was a guy who, who liked, he was in a rubber suit and he liked women to block off his breathing. And he talked about how, when he was younger, girls jumped on him and, and sat on him so heavily that he couldn't breathe. And this made him excited. And so there are these weird imprintings that seem to happen. And it could be the case that pedophilia is, is one of them. Although I don't know the degree to which that may be genetic or not, but it seems like a lot of people who have sexual feelings towards children were themselves sexually exploited as children. And I think it's that kind of imprinting that is so, uh, so tragic in these areas. But, um, so if, um, you know, there's, there's certain tribes where really long necks are a, a sign of uh, high sexual market value. 
probably because, you know, that which means you can't work means you have a lot of resources, right? So like these women's suits, which are immaculate and white, well, they're saying, I don't work with my hands. That's why long nails uh, are on very heavily painted nails and so on are also indicative of I don't work with my hands. Uh, and so impractical clothes like heels show high sexual market value or high intelligence because they say you work with your brains rather than with your back and all of these markers. We've gone through these a bunch of times before. So uh, I do think that um, our sex drive is the water, but it's poured into a localized container. And um, uh, this is one of the challenges, of course, with pornography, right? Because in the past, you would see, like in a tribe, you would generally see or hear sexual activity. And so you'd say, okay, well, this is what the adults like. So when I grow up, this is what I'm going to do. And this is what should turn me on. And I think that there's an imprinting that happens when you have exposure to sexuality, which when we were evolving as a species was pretty local, and I would imagine somewhat constant. And um, with uh, pornography, particularly the number of, um, I don't know, teens who are viewing pornography, they're getting a lot of imprinting on their initial sexual preferences that may not exactly represent <laughs> the majority position of what uh, women like, and, and probably doesn't, right? Because it's aimed at male sexual fantasies rather than women's sexual fantasies, which seem to involve a lot of backstory and abs. And so I, I think that there is um, uh, important imprinting that occurs in the realm of sexuality that are local, that are cultural, uh, but the first and most important are your mom and dad. Does, does that help? Yeah, definitely. And uh, what do you think the, the very first partner, uh, what kind of effect does it have on a, on a, on a human? Does it can like uh, determine um, your future relationships or what you're looking for uh, or uh, um, or that you compare it to your very first uh, experience or exposure yeah I don't know I mean that's a, that's a good question I obviously don't have any objective or scientific answer to this it, it wasn't wasn't the case with me. Um, but I, you know, the only exception that I can think of that, and this, I don't know if it's cause or effect, but a few men that I've known whose first sexual experiences were with prostitutes seem to have had lifelong problems with women. Now it could be that they had problems with women to begin with, and that's why they went to prostitutes and so on. But men who've attempted to cure their insecurity around women with going to prostitutes don't seem to have solved the problem, to put it mildly, any more than a rich guy says, well, people don't like me, so I'm going to buy friends. Therefore people like, this doesn't really work that way. So I don't know. Uh, that I don't like determines, like you said, the first partner determines something. Um, I think that most people try to do the best that they can with what they've got. You know, can I, and everybody will always aim either a little or a lot high when it comes to um, dating. Like when I was a teenager, I asked out the goddesses of the queens of the school regularly. I felt like I was a very high status male, um, because I felt like it wasn't like there wasn't a lot of external evidence to to um, confirm that, but I felt like I was a high uh, status male, and so I aimed. You know, in hindsight, of course, I aimed ridiculously high, which has been a tendency of my life as a whole, which is why this show exists. So I'm not just going to complain about it. It's a good thing for me to aim high, but um, everybody tries to do the best with what they can. And um, what is challenging, of course, is when you go out into the sexual arena. And you try and get the best that you can. Let's just say you'll get quite a bit of objective feedback, you know, until the government forces people to get married. 
there still is a free market in the sexual arena. And uh, it is quite a wake-up call. You know, it's like a wake-up call like, oh, I like to sing. I wonder if people will pay me to sing. Oh, they'll pay me not to sing. Okay, I guess that's a wake-up call. And um, so when you're out in the sexual marketplace, you're going to get a lot of objective feedback. And for a lot of people, that's really disconcerting. Uh, so I don't think it determines. However, your first sexual partner is when you're youngest and hottest, you know. And... Um, I think that it may condition what people think their sexual market value is uh, in the future. Like if you can only get, I don't mean this just in terms of looks, but, you know, sort of the one to ten scale in terms of quality. If you can only get a four when you're 18, well, okay, then you're not probably going to be hotter when you're 30. I guess for a man, you might be richer or <laughs> whatever it is. But uh, uh, I think that the, who you can get at the beginning might determine how you feel about yourself going forward. Does that make any sense? Right. What do you think? Um if um so you said uh, uh, it determines um so the first button determines or it doesn't determine so let me phrase it again um if a, like a certain uh type of people find me attractive uh, how do or how how do you think that uh, influences uh, like my choices because it basically shows that uh, uh those um, maybe type of people uh, they find me attractive, so I already know that they find me attractive. So I'm kind of comfortable with with them. Well, no, that's that's if you're passive, right? I mean, are you going to go grow some old food, uh, some of your own food, or are you going to go to a restaurant? Are you going to cook for yourself, or are you just going to pick up some roadkill that's been in the sun and gnawing it like an ape, right? <laughs> and and this, you know, I mean, I I think any reasonably attractive man has been in the position of. Uh, a woman who wants you and you don't want that. I think that if you are, if if a woman uh, is attracted to you and, and wants to go out with you or wants to sleep with you, then you kind of at the crossroads, right? And you say, okay, well, I can be passive and just be swept along by this woman's desire and, and so on. And then you're like a tumbleweed, you're just blowing through life, <laughs> so to speak. And um, on the other hand, you can say, well, it's not, this is not what I want, you know? And, and it really has to do with long term long-term goals, right? Do you, are you going to get married? Are you going to have kids? Uh, what kind of person do you want to raise your kids and so on? You know, uh, it's not likely the woman who wants to trip you and fall underneath you uh, in somewhat scurrilous way is probably not going to be the best person for that. So I think that's the fork in the road where you say, am I just going to be passive and go with whoever wants me? Or am I going to choose and, and have standards, which is going to be what drives my dating? Yeah, definitely. And, uh, so, so the last part of my question, uh, which I phrased in the email, was uh, regarding what's your take on like soulmates? Um, it's come up a few times this topic that it might exist or it might not. Or uh, what's your take on that? I, I don't think that there's one person for everyone. That that's certainly not the case. So soulmates, but you can create it, kind of. You a Japanese robotics expert? What do you mean? <laughs> I'm not quite sure what you mean there. I mean, like, uh, work on it. That's what I mean. Okay, so, so soulmates means the most compatible and the best, right? Most compatible, we, we, I guess you could say that, uh, you know, two mass murderers who hang out together and, you know, bang and kill. Um, Woody Harrelson style. Okay, that's reference to a movie, not that he bangs and kills. I know he bangs. I don't think he kills. But... um 
Have you been watching Dexter stuff? I never have, but I do remember watching Natural Born Killers with my jaw open and my popcorn largely uneaten. Um, and Jennifer Lewis, I'm I'm frightened that she's attractive in any way, shape, or form. Like it, I'm frightened of the fact that Juliette Lewis is attractive because she's at least in that movie crazy is it? a triple-headed snake. Anyway. So, uh, we wouldn't say soulmates are like two evil people who, you know, hang out together. We would say soulmates has something to do with a positive, happy, beneficial, good time love. And so you work on improving your virtue and the more virtuous you become, the more you are going to attract and be attracted to another virtuous person. So you work to maximize your virtue. And to me, it's sort of like dating is like driving down a road. And you're getting hungry. And there's some restaurants. And maybe you have a favorite restaurant in your mind. And there's restaurants you're definitely not going to eat at. Like, for me, it's that, like, East Asian soup stuff. Like, no thanks, right? Or a place I went once where I had sea slug and snake soup. Like, thanks, but that's a little bit too off the beaten whitey path for me. But, uh, so places you're definitely not going to eat. There's places where, you know what it's like, you stop and you pick up the unleaded, like you just picked up the cheapest gas you can get, you know, like, I gotta keep moving, I need some stuff, so uh, I'm gonna just drive through this place and get something and, you know, drip on the wheel and stuff, right? And then there's other places where it's like, yeah, it's a little nicer, and then there's places like, wow, I didn't even know there was there were those restaurants here, I'm going there for sure. And um, so as you're driving along, you're getting hungry and hungry, and at some point, you gotta stop and eat. Because at some point, you'll be too hungry to continue driving. Like, it'll be dangerous. You can't concentrate. And so with dating, is there a restaurant soulmate? Well, if the restaurants get better and better, if they keep getting better and better, then you'll wait for the next restaurant, which is going to be even better. But what if the restaurants get better and better and then start getting worse and worse? Well, do you wait for them to get better again? Or do you just say, well, I'm not going to have them any worse. I'm going to have a meal at this restaurant, and I'm going to regret that I didn't eat at the restaurant 20 miles back, which was the best, but I didn't know it till it got worse, right? So what is this, what is your soulmate with regards to a restaurant? Well, if you can find exactly the right restaurant, right? If, if, if it's your favorite restaurant, no matter what, then you're not going to go any further, right? Obviously, right? If, if, whatever your favorite restaurant is, if that's your, if, if it's right there, you know, it's going to be a great meal, then you're going to stop and you're going to eat at that restaurant, right? That makes sense. So this is the choices that we make. Who is the best person that I can get? Who's around? And every, you know, particularly for, for men, uh, well, men, let's say particularly for women, once you're over that peak, sort of early to mid-20s, that peak of sexual attractiveness, what's the guy I can get with my fading looks? And that's when the restaurants are getting worse and worse, and you kind of regret the better restaurant that you left behind. So as far as soulmates go, if you're a really good person and you meet a woman who's a really good person, you can always wait for an even better person to come along, but that has its risks, of course, right? Because if a better person doesn't come along, you've missed your window. Now, in my particular case, dated a lot of women, found a woman um, who's now my wife, and, you know, we met, and within, like, we, we met, and, like, I think after two days, we've never spent a day apart ever since. And um, kind of, I couldn't, like, if I was a Japanese robotics engineer, I couldn't design or create a better person for me. Well, a better person as a whole. It's not just for me. So you want to be compatible with virtue and you want to sort of try and find the best person that you can get. And circumstances can change, right? I mean, you might get, you might get married in your twenties and become a much better person in your thirties. 
and then the person you're with is no longer compatible because you do have to grow together. You don't just, the soulmate is like, we, we, we matched and then we stay together forever and it's perfect. And that's nonsense because a soulmate is someone you grow with and you have to grow according to the same principles. You don't want to be a rationalist who grows with someone who, who's with someone who grows in mysticism, right? Cause it's eh, not going to work out very well. So if you have people with the same values, then you're going to, you know, you have the same destination virtue. You've got the same GPS and mapping system called philosophy so you're both going to get to the same place uh, and you can help each other along the way so uh, i don't know about soulmate seems to me like i'm just going to wait until ah you know the personal illumination of oneness lights up my planet and then we're going to be together forever i think that's not a wise place to come from i think you want to keep working on your virtue be open to new people that you meet be skeptical of people's virtue uh, and uh, know that the more virtuous you become the more rare is the person you're going to be able to live and love and grow with. And so once you hit a huge amount of virtue and then you find someone who you really respect and admire, man, you sink your teeth in and don't let go. Is that a soulmate? I don't know. Is uh, is being healthy when you're 60 uh, magic? No, you've just done all the work necessary to get there. Right. So would you say in your particular case, uh, did you, you didn't just wait. Um, you kind of worked your way there just as the... 60-year-old who's still healthy? Well, I mean, I was just lied to. I mean, I was lied to about women. I was lied to about culture. I was lied to about race. I was lied to about IQ. I was lied to about family courts. I was lied to about divorce. I mean, uh, men live in this complete platonic baffle gab cyclone cave of lies and obfuscations that um, keep us uh, enslaved, keep us in, cha in chains. Uh, men are generally the livestock of society promoted to this imaginary privilege so that we can be further hated, abused, and exploited. So um, I, it took me a long time to find the right person because nobody around me, um, least of all the women, were telling me the truth about men and women, and which is, of course, stuff that I've tried to put out through this show uh, over the years. So uh, I try to get this information out there so people don't need to wander out into the desert to realize that the oasis they needed was right out back. <laughs> so um, I think that when people have the truth uh, about male-female relationships uh, and about all the other stuff I mentioned, uh, you can find a better person uh, much more quickly than I did. Oh, but I also needed to become a better person too. Let's not <laughs> be clear about that too. Right, right. Makes sense. All right. Anything else you wanted to mention? To this question, no. Um... Maybe if I take 20 more seconds to just uh, thank you for your work. Uh, I really appreciate it, well, what you're doing with your show. And uh, you're basically the only channel I have a, a, an alarm set, which I'll always get the notifications if you put on a new show. Well, thank you. Our channel is quite alarming to many people, but I'm glad to hear about it in this way, too. That's nice. And uh, I would say my question uh, wasn't really urgent. Uh, as opposed to uh, the the previous caller, um, which is uh, basically, it's uh, uh, his life is depending on on the choices, what he's making and what is going on around him. And I think uh, you're doing also a good job of uh, uh, like informing people of uh, what is going on uh, in Europe, which also really concerns me uh, at the moment. And I'm not sure how this uh, is going to end. So, um, Oh, well, I'm not either, which is why I'm, yeah, I don't know how it's going to end either, which is why, you know, I mean, if, if you're five minutes from dying of lung cancer, you know how it's going to end. 
But if you still uh, only a mid middle aged smoker, you have a choice, uh, at least some choice. So hopefully we're not that late in the game. That I mean, the moment I stop making videos about something is when I've given up on it. So uh, that's uh, that's my particular key. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate the call. It was a it's a great pleasure. Yeah, Th thank you as well. Just uh, okay. great pleasure. Thank you. All right. Well, up next is Dan number two. Dan wrote in and said, is it okay for people to move to unowned land or unowned land without permission from a third party? If this is okay, then how is restricting immigration compatible with property rights unless one takes the conclusion that the state owns the country and so can decide who enters it or not? That's from Dan. Well, hello, Dan. Hi, how are you? I'm well, thanks. How are you doing? Good. All right. So what, um, is there anything you wanted to add to this question? Uh, I mean, uh, I guess not really. I mean, I saw, um, you, I know a, another call called in about immigration and you, you did a video and you said some stuff, uh, that, uh, well, some stuff that I, that I dis, uh, that I disagree with. Um, I mean, I guess I can mention that, um, you want um like uh i think like one of the things i think you said was um that uh why would you want to uh allow people into the country who uh don't believe in freedom you know there are people who believe in big government types and why would you want them why would you want to import them uh into the united states uh right i mean that a fair assessment Okay, and let's uh, let's let's talk about that then. That's a fine okay. thing to uh, bring up. Well, I, so yeah, you were going to say. Oh yeah, well, uh, I so I think if that's the case, I mean, uh, if if it's legitimate to prevent people through the use of force from uh, importing people into uh, a country which you don't own because you only own your plot of land because they're not conducive to freedom, there are people who no, live no, no, here. Hang on, hang on. Sorry, yeah, sorry to interrupt. Are you talking about? The current society or a free society? Uh, well, I mean, principles are principles, so I don't, I don't really know if it makes much of a difference, right? What do you mean you don't know if it makes much of a difference? I don't understand what that you at mean, all. Murder is wrong in a free society and is in a statist one, right? So, Well, no, but murder, is, murder and theft are perfectly legitimate in, in many cases in a statist society. So are they wrong? Well, sure, but uh, it, it kind of matters what society you're living in, right? Because if you're talking about immigration like the current government program, then what you're doing is you're conflating the welfare state with charity. And so right now, immigration is in no way, shape, or form a voluntary exercise for anyone at the moment, right? You're barred from coming in. If you come in, other people are often forced to support you and pay for you and all this kind of stuff, right? So I'm, it is important when you're talking about the current system that we live under or a free society in the future. That is a very, very big difference. Right. Well, I, but I don't, I don't see it as a package deal, meaning, uh, I'm against the welfare state. Obviously I don't think, uh, you know, that people who come into this country, if they can't make it on their own or rely on voluntary donations, tough. But I mean, look, I, uh, Ann Coulter made the same argument for why she believes in the war on drugs. She said, the reason I believe in those support the war on drugs isn't because I'm a moral bitty buddy. It's because we have the welfare state and I'm going to have to pay for their welfare if they can't get a job, if they're a crack addict 
or I have to pay their medical bills. So I think the welfare state, one of the many evils is that it's the go-to excuse for why we have to ban big gulp soda because people will contract diabetes. It's the excuse why we have to restrict immigration. So I'm against the welfare state, but I don't, but you can have immigration without the welfare state. I mean, I'm, I don't see why it has to be a package deal. Okay, you just put in a package deal there, uh, a bunch of them, in fact. Uh, let's start with the first one. The Ann Coulter's argument that um, you can't legalize drugs while there's a welfare state because there'll be a whole bunch of stoners who'll sit around, you know, watching The Wizard of Oz while listening to Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon and uh, will get sick and lazy and, and she'll have to pay for all of that. Now, that's an argument. I don't know that you can dismiss that argument by calling it an excuse. That is um, a little bit on the intellectually lazy side, right? I mean, you, there may be ways to counter the argument, but you can't just wave a word into existence to make the argument go away, if that makes sense. Okay, fair enough. So what is your argument against it if you feel that it's a bad argument? I mean, my, well, I, well in, in, in the example I gave with Ann Coulter? Well, I mean, there, I mean, there are a bunch. One, uh, I mean, first of all, if, if you arrest them and they get incarcerated, you're going to have to pay for their, their medical care anyway because people in jail get uh, government health care. And, and prisons and paying for police, I think, is way more expensive than the occasional hospital stays. So I'm, I don't even know if on net it's necessarily cheaper. But And secondly, um, you know, uh, there are plenty of people who use drugs who are not you taking advantage of the welfare state. And I think it's important to, instead of lumping all people who use drugs together to be able to pick out the innocent from the guilty and to say those who, who don't use the welfare state are different from those who do, instead of saying uh, all pe- people who take drugs, I'm just going to assume they're going to be potheads who are not productive. Well, I don't think she said that all people who take drugs are going to be potheads and sit on welfare, but that is a concern that she has. Uh, And yeah, your your case about the criminal system is, uh, I think, a fair and good rebuttal. I don't know what the numbers are. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe you could pass a law that says if you want to take drugs, you're not eligible for the welfare state. I don't know. It's just nonsense that that you come up with in a state of society. But um, uh, okay, so I just wanted to to mention that. Now, you said you can have immigration without a welfare state, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Which, of course, um, I agree with. Right. I don't care who lives where as long as they don't have their statist grubby paws in my pocket. Uh, That is, um, I think, perfectly fine. So uh, I don't want to be a busybody any more than anybody else does, I guess, except those people who want to be busybodies. But, um, yeah, I I think it's it's great to have the idea of moving. Uh, It's just that right now when um, people move into a country – um, right, there's a whole like, and we're not talking about people from compatible cultures uh, or compatible ethnicities. Look, like it or not, biology has so dictated the planet that human beings are tribal, and tribal is physical markers, and we just that's the way we are. Biology evolution could not conceivably have worked without genetic proximity preferences. So. That doesn't mean that different ethnicities and groups and races can't all work together well. They certainly can. And and when I was running a company, we had every conceivable ethnicity and, and group and gender and so on that you could, and sexual orientation that you could conceivably imagine. And I think it all worked 
met pretty well together. The company did well and is, is still in existence. So, however, however, because there's no possibility for society to talk about genetic differences, IQ differences, warrior gene prevalence differences, which we've talked about in the Truth About Crime presentation, because that doesn't exist, because that basic reality doesn't exist, what happens is low IQ populations move into high IQ countries. Nobody can talk about IQ and genetic differences or aggregate differences. And therefore, when the low IQ populations fail, white people get blamed and exoriated. And that's bad enough, you know, that there's all this verbal abuse uh, poured into the hearts and minds of white people, which has made a huge number of white people nihilistic and self-loathing. I mean, we all know the effects of verbal abuse on a human being. You know, Jim Morrison, the singer for The Doors, his father and mother did not hit their children. They had made a vow. They said, we are not going to hit our kids. Bingo, bango, bongo, no hitting our kids. So instead, what they did was they verbally tore them down into shreds, right? In the military, it's called getting a dressing down as they screamed basically verbal abuse at their children until their children burst into tears, probably wished they were dead and admitted their wrongs. And, you know, in this sort of Soviet style re-education promise to never do it again. Okay. So Jim Morrison grows up and basically is a complete lunatic. Um, shows up late, drunk for concerts, uh, encourages people to take off their clothes against the law in a concert hall, um, you know, yells at people, screams abuse at the audience, calls them idiots and, and slaves, and has constant uh, addictions to, to, to drugs, to alcohol, to food, gains weight, and then ends up dying, apparently, of some god-awful overdose in a bathtub in Paris at the age of 27. Right, So verbal abuse is incredibly destructive, and in many ways it's more destructive than physical abuse, because physical abuse, your body heals, hopefully, but with verbal abuse, the words can stay. Right, So the verbal abuse being poured on the white population because we can't talk about IQ is brutal and horrendous, and has become so pathological that um, the idea of white people either having in-group preferences or having any assertiveness whatsoever, I mean, is, is incomprehensible. To, to most people. Um, you know, there's an old saying which says, um, I'm, I'm proud of the black race and the black culture, says the proud black man. I'm proud of the Chinese culture and Chinese contributions and achievements in arts and sciences, said the patriotic and proud Chinese person. I'm proud of white culture, said the nationalist, Nazi, KKK, white supremacist who wants to kill six million Jews, right? That, that's just the way it is. You're not allowed to have any pride in your culture, in your history, in your heritage, or anything like that. And so immigration, not only at the moment from low IQ populations to higher IQ uh, cultures, because you can't talk about IQ, the only answer as to why the lower IQ cultures are doing badly is white devil racism. Well, that's well, why would you want that? I mean, there's no conceivable reason why any human being would would want that. And a sane human being would want that. But that's not bad enough because, because whites are racist and are holding down other races mysteriously in accordance with their place on the IQ pyramid, not able to hold down Ashkenazi Jews very well, nor East Asians who score above whites on the IQ test, mysteriously unable to apply horrible white racism to those people. What happens is white people then get taxed and controlled and pillaged. And, of course, the verbal abuse comes pouring on as well 
and white people's scores get artificially lowered, and there's affirmative action, which means that other people will get jobs that more qualified white people would otherwise get. So it's not just the verbal abuse. It's also the massive amount of theft and, and pillaging of resources. You know, there's a reason why white people are having fewer children and minorities are having more for a wide variety of reasons. And one of them is because you take money from white people and you give it to minorities. So, of course, that's, you know, whatever you tax and whatever you subsidize, everyone knows that. So under the current system, it's not just that there's a welfare state. It's that there's two things. There is a lack of capacity to talk about IQ as an explanatory power for group differences in a free, relatively free society, number one, which, which leads to torrents and torrents of hysterical, soul-crushing, community-destroying, entire race-shredding verbal abuse. Verbal, I mean, I mean, I don't know if you're white or whatever, but it, you, know, you know what it's like, right? So there's number one. And number two is there's massive theft that goes from whites to minorities of opportunities, of, of money, of uh, status, of whatever. And so because there's this blindness about IQ and this violent redistribution of state that is supposed to ameliorate the effects of IQ, which it never does, and therefore it's a government program because it goes against basic reality. It's a government program that never ends. And so when groups of low IQ populations come into higher IQ countries, white people in general, in general, white people suffer emotionally, spiritually, psychologically, financially in terms of liberty, hope, opportunity, their capacity to have children, and they get chased out of their own neighborhoods, right? As, as Hispanics and blacks in particular move in, white people uh, move out. So the more Hispanics and blacks there are in a white country, the less availability there is for white people to have places to live. And, and why? I understand why other groups would want that. Sure, I get it. But why on earth would, would the average white person say, I benefit from this? Well, I, I mean, I, I think, uh, I mean, the same reason, uh, I mean, free trade. I mean, first of all, I mean, I, there, there are plenty of, of immigrants who, you know, have high IQs, of course, and who benefit. But I think on net free... No, already oh, no I said low IQ populations. Um, well, it frees up resources. So, you know, if, if, if you know, if sorry, it's, well, it's sort of like resources. creative destruction, sorry, sorry. I don't you know, know if, 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 if someone on, else on, is taking on, a job now, I have resources to do hang something on. better. Hang on. Yeah. It frees up resources. I think I understand. So you're, you're saying that if lower IQ populations come in, then they do jobs that other people don't want to do, which frees up other people. Uh, yeah, in a sense. No, I mean, no, because if low IQ populations come in, then let's say IQ population 85 comes into a Western country. Well, IQ 85 people are like, you know, gardeners and hedge trimmers and so on. High IQ people don't want to do those jobs and they're driving down the wages of low IQ people, right? I mean, there are lots of whites who have IQs of 85 as well. And, and in a free market, fine. I mean, who cares, right? I mean, but when those people come in in a statist situation, then it's a big, big problem. Again, I have no problem with anybody wants to move anywhere. It's perfectly fine with me in a free society. But um, in a statist society, and you could say, okay, well, there's some economic benefit. Maybe there is. And there certainly are higher IQ populations. But as Dr. Jason Richwine has pointed out, 
uh, Hispanics, uh, you know, you get the smartest Hispanics coming in first, and everyone says, wow, these Hispanics are fantastic. But then what happens is, because of the IQ issues, the regression to the mean takes over over time, and then you get less and less success among the, um, uh, among the uh, Hispanic population over time, which then again creates a big set of problems in a state of society. Like people are always confused and say, well, why is it that the second generation tends to be more militant in, is, of uh, Islamic immigrants? The second generation tends to be more militant than the first generation. Well, of course. Of course they are, because there's a regression to the mean. First generation is the higher IQ people who leave the country because they can't stand Islamic countries, I assume. So they leave the country, they come to the West, and then their kids go back to the standard 80 to 90 IQ that is endemic to the Middle East. And therefore, the kids are going to be more susceptible to criminality, to uh, radicalization, and so on. But by then, the whole community is embedded in the society. Now, in a free society, those kids would self-deport, as they would normally do so, right? Um, a third of people who moved to America in the 19th century during a time of relatively free immigration, uh, a third of people self-deported because they didn't like it, they couldn't make it, and so on. And that's great because in a high IQ society, low IQ people have little value. Naturally, their jobs can be automated fairly easily in a lot of ways. Uh, you know, when the combine harvester was introduced, the wages of, you know, dumb, brute, ox-like agricultural laborers went down, and therefore a lot of people self-deported. Sorry, you were going to say? Oh, no, that wasn't me. Oh. Yeah. So, yeah, in a free society, great. You know, everyone can move. But um, the idea that you get, um, uh, if there is a genetic basis, and, and I've said this, if, the, the, all the evidence is that there is, at least most, all of the evidence that I've read, and I've tried to read pretty widely in this area. So there are uh, low IQ populations, and there are high IQ people within low IQ populations. And those high IQ people come to high IQ countries and do well, but their children don't. And so, um, you know, tall Chinese people can come and work in the MBA, but their kids and their kids' kids and their kids' kids' kids are going to go back to the five foot two average, and they're just not going to make it in the MBA. Right. I mean, I, I think, um, yeah, I mean, you know, I'll have to do more research in terms of that, but I, I think in general, I mean, I, I think one of, one of the, even, even in a, in a, in a state of society, I, mean, I think the argument for, for free immigration is, is, uh, is somewhat similar to, uh, the right of, um, secession. Right. I mean, the, the right of secession was originally designed as a somewhat check of government power, because if if the government knew that people could just secede, that would limit to some degree the how abusive the government could be. And I think likewise, if if people can move out, you know, from between to uh, from another country to go somewhere else, that uh, constrains the government from being so, so abusive, knowing that people will leave. So I think immigration is wait, somewhat wait, of a on, check. Are you saying that those countries that have that that lose the the best and brightest people end up with freer societies? Like when the smartest people leave a country, that the relative dullards who remain build some classical liberal paradise? No, well, I no, but I'm I'm saying that's you know I mean I mean look, uh, you know, I, Ayn Rand left uh, the the evil Soviet Union to come here. Now maybe. The um, 
you know, the people in Soviet Union can play the word made worse off. But I think people like Ayn Rand could say, well, that's the penalty you face by imposing these terrible laws and and for having socialism. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure what your point is there. Perhaps you can explain it a little more. Sorry, what? I, I'm sorry. I'm just I'm not sure what your point is there. Um, I mean, you're citing I, I, an individual. I, I mean, the, the point is that if if people impose bad laws and they're complaining that they're made worse off because the the people uh, in the society who don't like the laws are leaving, well, I, what do you what do you expect? So no, but what I'm asking you is, have you done any empirical evidence and said where there is the greatest outflow of the most able people, what remains is a more free society, or what what? comes out of that as a more free society because it's all very theoretical but you're talking about empirically testable stuff right i have not no okay well i would invite you to spend a little bit less time theorizing and a little bit more time looking up the actual facts like we just talked to a guy who's a very smart guy 126 i think his iq was and his girlfriend's got an iq of 123 or something like that and he's got a degree in mathematics and he's in greece where the average iq is sinking below 90 and he's just looking to get out because he's surrounded by dull people who have no interest and have never even heard of the free market and have no interest in, in getting there and want to just continue to suck off the giant double D cup government titty until they die. And so if he leaves the country and other people like him leave the country, do you think that then the government, which has the least intelligent, least ambitious, least motivated people left behind, is going to be able to sell them on the free market? Um, unlikely. I mean, the the society moves forward on very, very few people. I mean, you can look at Charles Murray's magnum opus, I think, in many ways, human accomplishment for more on this. But it, it is a tiny, tiny, tiny sliver of human beings who move society forward. And those are the most precious resources that any society has. And they tend to flare up. People say, oh, why does this genius flare up from here to here and there to there? It's because it can. I think the genius is always there. It's just it can because there's some crack, some opening in the sky where you can have something slightly better in, in humanity's uh, stead. So when the smartest people, like uh, it, it probably is not more than 100 or 200 people who are responsible for some of the great breakthroughs in human society, you know, like science, like uh, the free market, like uh, evidence-based medicine and so on. For each one of those, it probably was not more than 100 or 200 people, and you could argue even less, who were really responsible for these breakthroughs. And um, the vast majority of human society is just one dismal, depressing, spiraling photocopy from nothing to less than nothing. And the only way that that is reversed, if you, if you get just extraordinary people who have the scope to go out and get stuff done, almost always against the vociferous opposition of the dullard, burnt-out, candle, non-brain zombie heads of the masses who can't handle change unless change is more change into their hands from the government uh, in terms of money. So my concern as well is that through, and I'd make this case uh, in a more free society as well, is, um, oh yeah, you can, you know, you can leave your home country. And you can go to a free country or a freer country. And that's good for you um, in many ways. But the people left behind are just going to slide further and further back. And um, that, that is a reality we can't just ignore, I don't think. 
right? That they're, by turning tail and running, um, they are condemning those left behind who don't even remotely have the intellectual acuity to get done what needs to get done to build a free society. They are condemning those people to, to surfery and drudgery. Now, well, I guess the challenge is that when you go and try and help those people, they'll generally spit on you and call you evil, right? I mean, that's, that's, that's why people, that's why smart people want to run and go to some place where they can exercise their faculties with greater peace and um, opportunity. They, they, they want to leave because it's not like you're a doctor and people are desperate for a cure and they cheer you and give you ticket tape parades when you find the cure. That's not what happens in society. What happens in society is you try to work for the betterment of the masses and the masses just hate you for it. I mean, they, they always have, and for the foreseeable future, they always will, which is why the people who can do the best for mankind tend to be the least uh, popular. And um, so that is a challenge, and lots of people want to run away from that challenge. And I've asked myself, let's say that some, some spaceship came down. I mean, this is a good question for you too, maybe. Some spaceship comes down from the planet Libertopia. And they say, listen, I mean, they're human beings just like you. They speak English. And uh, there's no government. Uh, you can do anything you want. Perfect freedom of speech. Perfect liberty. No bureaucratic interferences. You'll come onto the spaceship. We'll be there in three days, three of your Earth days. And you will have, and you can bring anyone you want, all your family, all your friends, to a maximum of maybe 50 people. We'll take you there. You'll be perfectly at home. It's the most beautiful place you can imagine. You'll have perfect liberty. Everyone there is happy and rational and empirical. No gods, no masters, no government, no taxes, no national debt, no low IQ populations, no war between the sexes, no family courts. Everything is negotiated. Everything is peaceful. Everyone is joyful. And the music is beautiful. But you've got to decide in the next 30 seconds. What would you say? Uh, I, I'd probably go. Um, yeah. Have yourself. Mike, what would you say? Um, <laughs> can my friends and family come? If the answer is yes, I'm hitching a ride with the aliens. Right. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, um, it's the self versus the other question. And I don't know the exact answer to that. I do know that I benefited from people who didn't leave, that the freedoms to have these conversations have occurred because people didn't leave, that they stayed and they fought, right? Okay. I would find it hard, like I, I would hate to go to this Libertopia wonderful planet with, you know, jetpacks and space aliens with nine multicolored boobs or whatever. I, I would hate to go to that place and not have adapted to it in a way, like it may not be that great. You may be like, oh, I'm combat. Like, you know, I mean, if you, you, you walk your whole life 45 degrees into a strong wind, the wind will fall over if it stops. And then I would sort of sit there and, and maybe we'd get messages from Earth. We'd get, you know, all the smart people have gone. Maybe they made this offer to the, the top 500 smartest people on the planet. All the geniuses have gone. All the geniuses have left the planet. Mm -hmm. 
And as you would watch the broadcasts from Earth, how would they look? What do you think you would see? Well, you would see a slow slide back into barbarity. Maybe not even that slow. And I mean real barbarity, like hunting elk with a sharpened stick <laughs> within a couple of generations uh, through the grand deserted canyons of what were formerly cities. Because the world is led, and the geniuses are the jetpacks. It's the fight. It's the fight between the lead of the masses and the rockets of the geniuses. And this tension, right now, the geniuses are battling to, to keep things afloat, and the masses are increasing and continuing to weigh down even heavier. There's not a part of you that says, look, you, you, you uh, violate my rights, you oppress me, you spit in my face. Why should I really care what happens to you? I'm going to improve my own life. It's not like you're really appreciative of my efforts anyway. So why, why, should, why, why should I stay here when you're, when you're going to treat me like shit? Well, I already answered that. Right. What was my answer? Because I benefited from people who didn't do that, who didn't take that easy road. Because the freedoms that I enjoy to think, to reason, to speak to the world, to have these kinds of conversations were fought for by people who neither went nihilistic and turned away, but stood and fought against far greater dangers and odds than I will ever face, most likely. And so when you've inherited money that people sweated blood to accumulate, do you just piss it away at the casino? No. Might be fun, but it's pretty shitty, right? Yeah. So do you just abandon the planet? Let people slide back? Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. The problem is you've got to stop listening to the masses, right? If you, if you listen to the masses, they'll drag you down. Yeah, I think it's my right? problem. Listening listen to, to the masses is like going swimming with a mafia hitman. You get a feet full of concrete and a couple of views of guppies before your life bubbles out right in front of your wide bloodshot eyes. I mean, you've got to not listen to the masses like I put... The <laughs> <laughs> put this video out. Um, I was just going to say, I think my answer may have been influenced by the video yesterday. <laughs> anything you'd like to add to that, Michael? <laughs> A deluge of truthers descending upon the show. Like, yeah, you know, if the aliens Mike, came. Do you not care about the truth? Why don't you care about the truth? <laughs> you haven't watched this documentary project. Psyop. Sorry. To some other guy. <laughs> Yeah, that, that may be influencing my answer just a little bit, because I, uh, yeah, I definitely feel what you're saying, Steph, and I think I can go back and forth depending on the day. I mean, yeah. But, no, and I go back and forth, too, mm -hmm. and, and, but the people, you know, because the reason I say don't listen to the masses is the masses will just drag you down to idiocy and beat you with experience. I mean, just forget it. I mean, just the average person is going to leave no more mark on the world than a raindrop four years ago left on the surface of a lake. And so you, you, they'll try to drag you down because they want to feel like they're important because they're idiots, right? Because they're, and I don't mean the truthers, right? I mean, just this is a general proposition. They're idiots, and there's nothing wrong with that. I'm an idiot in a lot of ways about various things. I'm just smart enough to know the things that I'm stupid at. And idiots don't like to know that they're idiots. It's tough to feel inconsequential. Everybody is a cathedral of vanity to some degree. And um, if you are inconsequential and you genuinely know that you're inconsequential, you're not really that smart, you're not really that important, people aren't really going to remember you outside of your immediate friends and family, and certainly you're not going to leave any particular mark on the world, well, that's kind of tough. Uh, you know, it takes a, a, a lot of integrity 
to accepting consequentiality, such integrity is generally not granted to those without enough intellectual capacity to leave a mark on the world. So if you are inconsequential, you will hate the very idea of inconsequentiality, which is why dumb people tend to come up with weird stuff that is incomprehensible just to make themselves feel smart. Well, I may be a big failure in my life. I might only work in a warehouse, but I know something that makes me smart and you dumb. Ah, I may be standing outside a, a gate uh, at the, uh, the base of the Twin Tower wrecking site in New York, and uh, I may have a ponytail, and I'm 60, <laughs> but I'm, uh, kids may not be speaking to me and this, that, and the other, but I know something about nanothermite. And you don't, so... It's, it's like that joke from the TV show Taxi where Jim Ignatowski says about this guy, you know, he might have millions of dollars, he might, you know, invented all these great things and have all these beautiful women, but he doesn't have this jelly donut. <laughs> so it's sort of well, the, except the, the jelly donut is pretty inconsequential, right? I mean, this is, this, unfortunately, this is... I am a big fish in a little pond. I am important not because... I've achieved something great and objective, but because I have taken on a belief system that makes me feel superior to other people. And therefore, anyone who questions my belief system is questioning my illusion of importance. Which is why, you know, and, and so people, and so you don't ever listen to the masses, my God. I mean, I think there's a problem. I'm like, yesterday I was talking to someone criticizing the welfare state, someone from, from the left, and she said to me, and I was stunned, I can't even believe she would admit saying this, but she said to me, there's nothing you can say that will convince me. I'm like, what does that yeah. mean? There is no argument possible? I mean, why would you even admit to, to saying there's nothing you can say that will convince me? That just shows a total, you know, closed-mindedness and, but yeah. Well, but no, the, listen, I'll tell you, man, the greatest, the greatest humility, the greatest humility I am going to just provide to you right now, which is that in this, you're dumber than her. Like, whatever contempt you have for her, whatever you feel that she's not achieving intellectually, you're achieving even less. Because she's honestly and openly telling you, I'm a retard. I'm insane. I'm stupid. I'm bigoted. I'm prejudiced. I can't think and I don't even want to. Right? So this this information. Right. Right? So, I mean, and that's that's called Facebook. <laughs> that's called YouTube comments. That's called the internet as a whole, right? And yeah, I mean, I, I go through this, you go through this, where we just have to say, who's dumber? The dumb guy who rejects evidence or the smart guy who rejects the evidence that dumb guys reject evidence, right? Who's stupider? The idiot who rejects reason or the smart guy who rejects that the idiot rejects reason and pretend and goes on anyway, right? Who's, who's dumber? The, 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 the dumb guy who mistakes himself for a smart guy or a smart guy who mistakes a dumb guy for a smart guy, <laughs> right? I mean, th these these are very humbling, humbling, humbling That's questions. true. Yeah. My grandfather used to say to me, to expect people who are irrational to be rational is irrational. Yeah. Yeah, you know this. And, and but you got you got to grit your teeth, right? And the reason is that, um, you know, there's an old saying from, I think it was ancient Rome, one senator said, the other said, you know, we got to make, I don't know, sometimes I'm talking to someone, it turns out that they're a slave. Gross. We've got to make the slaves wear special armbands. And the other senator said, are you kidding me? That's like the worst idea ever. Because if they all wear special armbands, they'll know how many there are. 
of them and how few there are of us. So forget that, right? But we have the opposite problem, which is that if we don't communicate with people who are idiots, <laughs> well, only the smart people can wear the special armbands and you're just wandering through the planet looking for somebody with an armband. Anybody, Echo, Bueller, anybody, <laughs> you know, how few we are, how few we are. And it's just the way things are. And um, this desperate desire for idiots to get smart people to engage with them, I mean, come on, you know that's not going to benefit you. It certainly benefits them, absolutely benefits them. But um, they're going to constantly try to get you into their world of crazy. And yeah, when somebody says to you openly, there's nothing that you can say that will change my mind, what they're saying is, I have no mind. I am full of empty conformist prejudices. And okay, okay, fine. You know, thank you. Thank you for the honesty. Thank you for not um, having me waste my fireworks on a crowd of blind people. <laughs> so yeah, but if you reject that, you're dumber than they are. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I guess, well, I guess there's a part of me that, that hopes because, you know, I mean, I guess, I mean, what's, what's, what's the alternative, I guess. So, I mean, Mm. What is the alternative to accepting reality? No, I mean, well, no, well, I mean, if we want to live in a freer society, we're going to have to persuade those who are dumber than us to 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 believe in it. So I think, right? Otherwise, no, 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 no. Come on, come on. They'll 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 go along with whoever's in charge. They're not even smart enough to oppose smart people, good or bad. These are the people. Listen, oh man. Is that how freedom was achieved in the past? Uh, Did John Locke go from town to town trying to talk to people pushing plows and trying to explain the free market to them? Is that how it worked in the past? No, you're right. You're right. Yeah. Come on. Uh, you know, there's a few people who make all the difference in the world, and there's everybody else who has as much free will as the tail of a kite. You know, there's people who fly the plane, and then there's people in the pa who, who are passengers in the plane. And unfortunately, the door's pretty much locked. Oh, did we lose you? No, I'm here. You are. I thought I had a thing going out. Yeah, so no, you don't. You don't. You, you, you find the smart people, you network with the smart people, and you put the ideas out to lighten up smart people. The world will change when smart people stop trying to convince dumb people of things that only smart people can understand. Right? What do scientists do? Scientists get together with other scientists to advance their craft. Do they sit there and go to some crazy face-painted mystic in some mountain in India and try and get him to be a scientist? No, of course not. Guy says, I only believe what the Beatles tell me. Okay, <laughs> you will not be invited to our next science conference, right? That's um, how things work. You network with the smartest people you can find. You spread the ideas. And you don't engage with idiots because... It's a complete waste of your uh, of your time. You know, Tiger Woods isn't out there trying to coach guys with no arms on how to be golfers. I don't know. He might if they're blonde. But... <laughs> okay, so so but, but you have to let go. You have to let go of the masses, right? And so the reason the reason I brought all this stuff up is that they're all these people, Steph. You know, your video on nine eleven got a lot of downvotes. You might want to think about that. <laughs> oh no. 
down votes from people who believe that no planes flew anywhere <laughs> over New York. Oh, no, down votes from people who don't understand what the word nanothermite means. Like, oh, no, down votes from people who say the buildings fell in free fall when you can clearly see stuff that fell off the buildings falling faster than the buildings. That's free fall. <laughs> idiots, right? Yeah. And so... So, I mean, oh, no, down votes from idiots is up votes for me. Huh? <laughs> I can just think that, Steph, you know, a lot of people don't like this video. It's like, why on earth would I care about that? You know, that there are two opinions that matter to me. And like anonymous, unsubbed. It's like, God, if they could just, like, I just, I'd, I'd love for people to just get in here, right? Get into my head. And just have a view of themselves. Like you're some guy with all caps on the internet. Like, I have no idea who you are. I couldn't care less. And and that's what you need to understand. Like, I couldn't. Oh, no, there are downvotes. <laughs> People think that matters? Like, what insanity is that? I mean, 400 people, 400 people put together have a brain that weighs a lot more than Einstein's brain. But 400 people put together don't make an Einstein. Four million people put together don't make an Einstein. Maybe even four billion. I don't know. Like they just discovered these gravity waves predicted by Einstein's theory of relativity over a hundred years ago. Stone genius. You know, a whole bunch of bad singers don't equal Pavarotti. <laughs> you know, like there is no accumulation with idiots. There is only, there is only extrapolation and hitting the event horizon of genius with individuals. And so, oh no, there's someone on the internet who gave me a downvote who doesn't know how to spell the word moron. I think I'll survive. <laughs> I just like, I think I'll survive. But, but this is what the masses think that, that, that it's important what the masses think. And the wise understand that the masses are the opposite of thinking. Political correctness is the opposite of truth. All delusions held by the masses are antithetical to truth. All beliefs held by the masses are antithetical to truth. Will that be the case in the future? I hope not. I'm working my best to change that. But right now, whoever the masses condemn, got to be something good in it. And whoever the masses praise, cover your balls, grab your wallet, and go into the bunker. No, I'm, I, I agree. I'm a, I'm a big... You know, what, the, the quote, I, the, 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 you know... If there was a quote I live by, it's, you know, Mark Twain who said, whenever you find yourself on the side of the majority, it's time to pause and reflect. Actually, you just know you're going the wrong way. Right. So. You just know. Yeah. I mean, look, it, it works for geese trying to get south of the winter, but anyone trying to get north to truth, you got to peel off from the mass. You, you just have to. Okay. Yeah. All right. So I, so, so I, I, I guess what you're saying is, don't listen to them. They're not going to appreciate you, but just stay and try to fight. I mean, they're helping you. This is a very, very kind woman. She's telling you, look, I'm never going to buy a condo. So just give me my free breakfast and let me go to the beach. Right. It, she's saying, look, I'm never going to think ever. How many times have I written not an argument on the internet? And how many times have people have said, what do you mean by that? I don't understand. What does not an argument mean? What have I made that's not an argument? Or how could I make an argument better? <laughs> right? You know, I mean, it's like what it is, is people who are trying to golf and they're facing the wrong way, right? 
and they hit the ball and, and they go, it goes the wrong way. And I say, you're facing the wrong way. They just hit another ball, facing the wrong way, hit another ball, facing the wrong way, hit another ball, facing the wrong way, hit another ball. You can just put this on a loop and play it till you're dead. And that's engaging with people in the world for the most part. Not everyone. I love the callers. I love a lot of people who listen to this, but that's the reality of it. And nobody's saying, well, what do you mean I'm facing the wrong way? Does that mean the ball's that way, not this way? That's kind of what it means. <laughs> no, they just keep hitting the balls. Keep hitting the ball. Keep hitting the balls. And then, I'm not trying to get a ball in the hole. Well, why do you have a golf ball and a golf club and you're yelling four and hoping to get a hole in one? <laughs> anyway, so, yeah, I mean, uh, it, it is tragic and it is the effect of, of government schools and it's the effect of religion and it's the effect of leftism and it's a, an effect of political correctness. But uh, human beings are, are, are antithetical. Like, they have, they have become so um, ego-wedded to delusion that things as basic as taxation is theft, like they, they can't, they, they, they can't process it. You understand? Like they, they, they literally like, it's like you simply like you, you're saying up is down, black is white in Swahili on the dark side of the moon. <laughs> right. You, you don't in think part of it's a defense mechanism? Like I can't stop taxation. So let me at least delude myself. It's not theft. So I don't feel like a victim. What do I care? What, what do I care what the motives are? What, what would it do for me to know what the motives are? What would it matter? Uh, I don't know. To tr- yeah, to tr- I don't know. To try to maybe... you think that would fix it? <laughs> do you think if I, if I pull on people, they will get taller? Right. Do you think if I keep screaming the word hair into my hat, I, <laughs> I turn into George Clooney? Right? I mean, no. I don't care what the motives of idiots are. I mean, they do. see the thing is, you'll never know because they're idiots. They have very little capacity for self-knowledge. So you can guess all you want. There'll just never be a confirmation because you'll never get the truth from them. Because it takes a pretty, pretty significant amount of intelligence to have what is called the observing ego. You know, where you look at yourself and you say, I wonder why I do this. Right. And, you know, I'm working with this with my daughter and it's a challenging thing for people. Why did I react in this way? Why do I have this emotion? I want, what did I think right before? Right, that takes a, an observing ego. It takes significant IQ. And I would argue a Western tradition. And um, so when you try and theorize about what makes idiots tick or crazy people tick, you can, you're theorizing in a vacuum because they will never have the self-knowledge to accurately tell you. All idiots can do is manipulate. They don't have much of value to offer truth seekers, so all they can do is bully and manipulate. And all they're, they're, they, they can't climb trees. All they can do is kick, kick a tree until a piece of fruit falls down and call themselves an exquisite hunter. You know, it's an old thing. You, you can't fix stupid. You can't fix stupid. And, you know, since you started talking about immigration, Europe has a giant project called Fixing Stupid. Got an IQ, 80 to 85 population. Inbred cousin marriages for 1,400 years. And Europe's got this, no, we'll fix that. Okay, you can destroy your entire civilization because you won't talk about IQ. You can destroy your entire civilization because you won't talk about genetics. That's all right. It's happened before. It's happened before. I'm hoping like hell it won't happen again but it's happened before. 
when societies uh, become so exploitive that they live on lies, well, then they're going to crash. I mean, like anyone, anyone who thinks that the tiger is a pet and the cat is a predator uh, is going to pet the wrong thing, get their arm bitten off. Delusions lead to death. Now, mild delusions allow people to be exploited, but when people start being deluded and get exploited, you get more and more exploiters, which means they have to sow more and more delusions into people. And then eventually there are so many exploiters and the people are so deluded that the societies crash because it can't make a single fucking good decision to save its life, literally to save its life, the whole culture, the whole society. And Europe has so many exploiters, you know, layers upon layers of bureaucrats, welfare, warfare, European central banks, the EEC, uh, all the bureaucrats who leave uh, work at four o'clock on a Thursday and don't show up again till nine o'clock on a Tuesday. I mean... The, the public school teachers, the, the banksters, the financiers, like there's so many parasites, so many horrifying and horrible human beings preying upon the fundamental human crop, which is not people, but delusions, right? You, you sow delusions in order for people to feed you resources. There are so many predators on the European population. And to prey upon someone requires that that person never ask the basic question, what's in it for me? What's in it for me? Right? If you never ask what's in it for you, people will exploit you from here to uh, kingdom come. Right? Absolutely. Oh, go on. But the moment you ask what's in it for me, then the exploiters have to prove value to you. And if they can't, they can't exploit you anymore. Right? Which is why white people in particular have to be so browbeaten and, and, and broken down and turned self-hating so that they can never say what's in it for me. What's in it for me? What's in it for me for all these North African Muslims to come into my country? How does this benefit me? How is this good for me under the current system or any system, but let's just say the current system. And so right now there are so many people preying on Europeans, so many people preying upon the productive classes of all ethnicities in the West that the number of illusions and delusions that are required to support this amount of predation have become so great that society is killing itself. It literally is going to die. The predators, the the, the parasites, the exploiters can't pull back because they're on an addiction and they've committed themselves to this course. The people can, can't wake up and say, wait a minute, what the hell is in this for me? And this, by the way, is the Donald Trump phenomenon in a nutshell. What's in it for me? How does this benefit me? Is this the country I want? Is this the civilization I want? Is this the culture I want? Do I want someone moving in next door who speaks my language, has the same values, the same backgrounds, they can watch my kids, I can watch their kids, or do I want someone moving in next door whose holy book commands them to kill me and who doesn't speak my language and who has really, really bizarre hygiene habits and, 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 right? It's just a basic question. And anybody who's honest knows what the answer is. Who do you want to move in next to you? Everybody. Who's, lots of people say, oh, I don't care. It's just stupid lies. and It's just nonsense, right? I mean, ridiculous. I mean, I, I respect flat earth uh, a lot more than I respect people who reject evolution and um, genetic proximity preference. I mean, uh, Flat Earth is way more sane than the left's view of how evolution in human society works, or evolution as a whole, or period. And so, Europe as a whole, they've they've got so far away from any basic reality, any basic self-assertiveness on the part of of whites in particular. Okay, well, you you know, it's it's hard when you've been verbally abused your whole life, and that's the story of white people, particularly white males. People say, ah, why didn't the Germans stand up? It's like saying, why has a woman who's been verbally abused and beaten up for 40 years, why doesn't she just stand up? It's like, because she's been beaten down. We all understand this. It's post-traumatic stress disorder, right? And we have PT, 
PTWD, right? Post-traumatic white disorder. And um, except there's no post-trauma because it never ends, right? And so until, you know, this is why I hate talking about race. I really, I hate it. It's no fun. It's not, not popular, but it's necessary. Sorry, you know? I don't like telling people they got cancer if you're a doctor, but you've got to do the right thing. And so, you know, white people got to say, okay, what's in this for me? Are we just resources that the rest of the world can pillage until we fall over dead? Are we just like jugulars for the vampires of the planet? No. What's in this for me? What the, what the hell is in this for me? And until people ask that basic question and begin to reassert themselves, they just are going to fall further and further into delusion until society is just going to end. So civilization is just going to end. A society dedicated to ignoring the basic facts of reality it's like an engineer trying to build a building while thinking physics is the opposite of physics. You may end up with a mess, but you sure as hell won't end up with any place you can live in. Right. Yeah, but I mean, in response, who do you want to live next door to you? I mean, I don't think you, I don't think people get to really make that choice. And, let, you know, like, I, I don't get to pick who my neighbors are, you know, and I mean, maybe if I own the surrounding property or something, but I, I don't think you get to pick who your neighbors are. And, you know, that's just sure like, an unfortunate have you never heard of white flight? Right. Well, you can leave beyond leaving. Um, well, that's something. Aren't you talking about leaving and migration and this big human change? I mean, so you get to you get to migrate away from non-white areas, which is what white people tend to do and what Jews tend to do and what the leaders. It's not about white people. So what the leaders tend to do. The leaders don't. <laughs> Angela Merkel is not going to go and live in some no-go zone and walk around in a bikini saying, hey – Culturally enrich me, everybody. <laughs> have at it. Uh, I mean, they live in their own gated communities. They have their security. They want to live around people like themselves. Of course they do. I mean, it's natural. So, yeah, so, uh, of course you can choose your neighbors. It's just if somebody, because if somebody moves in, you don't want to live next to you, you can move away. But it's just a lot of work. Why would you want that? I mean, I mean, I, I, I agree. I mean, I, but I mean, on, on the other hand, I... I certainly don't trust the government to be able to decide who who should who should come in and who shouldn't. I mean, they're they're pretty. Well, what do you? Well, sorry, what do you think is happening at the moment? That's that, 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 that's why I say immigration is a government program. I can't repeat this enough, and people don't want to listen to it, particularly libertarians. I'm pro immigration. Then you're pro a government program because that's all it is. I'm pro more immigrants. Okay, then you're pro more government because the governments will choose, the governments will fund, the governments will indoctrinate, the governments will teach, the governments will manage, the governments will give them housing and health care. So right now, tragically, being pro-immigration is being pro-big government. And um, why libertarians can't see this, again, it's just one of these incomprehensible things. But, you know, given that I'm saying don't um, interact with idiots, I have to make my choice, <laughs> given the scarce resource called life that I have to spend. Right. It is a government program right now. I don't trust the government to do anything. I don't trust the government to tie its own shoes. Of course the government can't choose who the hell's going to come in and who the hell's not going to come in. Of course not. The government's not going to do that for the betterment of the country. It's going to do that to expand their own political base. I'm looking at you, Democrats. And it's going to do that to appeal to the sentimentality of women. Because women can afford to be sentimental about immigrants, but men can't because men are going to end up fighting these people. Okay. But how, but how is saying we... Because I right, I mean, because I mean, because Donald Trump, at least from what I what I've heard of him, he's not saying we shouldn't have any immigration. He's saying we should just 
bring the the best and the brightest. So does, doesn't that mean the government would 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 try to screen and decide, you know, who should come and who shouldn't? So how's that not how's that not a government program? Well, it's an improvement in a government program to say we should get the best and the brightest rather than the lowest IQ, the least skilled, the least employable people with the lowest sexual market value who can't possibly get a date. Young men, unaccompanied, unattached young men always cause problems in society. I don't care what race they come from, <laughs> right? So if he says, let's get the best and brightest, okay, that's a step in the right direction. However, it could be that when he says no Muslim immigration, it's a trap. I don't know. I'm not Donald Trump. But uh, if I were Machiavellian, I'd say no Muslim immigration. And people would say, that's racist. You can't single out the Muslims. I'd say, okay, no immigration. President can do that. And America did it from the 1920s until the 1960s, which was a time of fairly significant uh, peace and prosperity in America. Well, I guess with the exception of the Fed created and maintained uh, um, 13-year economic depression in the 1930s. But um, uh, it was not a time with mass uh, rioting and all this kind of stuff and the police having to stand down for fear of uh, defending themselves and having their lives destroyed and so on. So. So, yeah, it could be Donald Trump's thing of saying, oh, is it racist to say no Muslim immigrants? Okay, well, let's just say no immigrants for a while. I mean, it's not like America is desperately, it's not, I don't think I've ever been in Manhattan saying, boy, you know, it'd be great. Another 100,000 people here. That would just, boy, it's, it's echo. No one's around. I can't get a hot dog. It'd be great if there were more people. America is not exactly suffering from an excess of people at the moment. And so, yeah, if you shut down immigration, it would be a breather and it would be far less taxes and it might give uh, white people more of an incentive to breed rather than not have kids because they're paying for everyone else's. Yeah, but I, I mean, like during, um, you know, uh, you know the, the Holocaust, you know, for instance, you know, the, the, the Jews who were fleeing Nazi Germany were on the boat to Ellis Island and FDR sent them back where they, where they were killed. I mean, I think that's pretty horrific not you know i mean the the consequence of not having that immigration was that these people now are are were died and got killed right so yeah so it's really bad what hitler did right but fdr could have helped by by allowing the jews to have a safe haven right i don't know about the politics and i know about the the the, the jews that went around the world looking for uh safe havens and uh you know that was a uh that was a big problem. Now, back back then, of course, I mean, they were just having the start of the welfare state and all that kind of stuff. So that, you know, why why didn't you hear about that in the 19th century? Because lots of Jews got to come out. Without the welfare state, they could land no problem. So there the problem is the welfare state, right? Not immigration. I, I don't, what do you mean? I, I guess I'm not seeing it. How, how's the problem the welfare state during, during because in the, this, this occurred in the, in the 1930s, right? Yeah. Okay. A couple of problems. This is just off the top of my head. So, you know, if I, I, don't, I think this is accurate, but. So, um, this is just, you know, off my readings of Whitaker Chambers and, and uh, McCarthyism and so on. So, uh, number one, why didn't this happen in the 19th century? Jews were fleeing persecution in the 19th century. They were able to land and come to America, no problem, right? So, then, back in the 19th century, there was no government welfare state. And so, it was not really that big an issue as to why. Um, as to whether or not the Jews could come into America, right? Because there was no welfare state. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. That's number one. Number two is that a lot of Jews in Europe in the 1930s were communists. Oh, by God, but there are a lot of communists. And, you know, a lot of the communists were Jews. Maybe they couldn't vet them. Maybe they didn't have papers. Maybe they were concerned that uh, Hitler was fighting, right? It was, it was Nazism 
versus Bolshevism, right? The, the, the communists and the Nazis were fighting tooth and nail in the streets in Germany. And so it could be, and of course there are a lot of Jews, as I've talked about before, a lot of Jews were instrumental in the founding of communism and the spread of communism. Uh, Jews were, what, 2% of the Russian population, but 40% of the communists uh, and so on. And so there were a lot of Jews uh, who were instrumental in the founding of communism. This was a very strong anti-communist time uh, in America, and communists were infiltrating the U.S. government considerably. I mean, this uh, McCarthyism hysteria and so on, there was real foundation for it. I mean, there were there were so, hundreds of Soviet spies all riddled throughout the U.S. government, particularly in the State Department, particularly in the um, department, uh, the embassies out in China, which is one of the reasons why massive uh, segments of the world population were lost to communism in China, because there were huge uh, riddles of uh, of communists throughout the place. So I don't know the history, but, you know, I think that would be a bit of a security concern. Uh, so, you know, you'd have to ask FDR if you could, but I don't know. Maybe the factors exist and maybe they don't. But um, there was a um, uh, there were some security concerns about intellectuals fleeing uh, Germany because a lot of them weren't like freedom fighters who didn't like Nazism. A lot of them were like, damn, we didn't win with communism. Are we, we communists didn't win. So let's go flee to America. Well, I don't know that you want a whole bunch of communists coming into America. You know, I mean, hasn't done didn't do America a lot of good in the Cold War. Right. I mean, right. I mean, yeah, but I, I, well, yeah, but who's to say they're they're communists or not? So, but right, right. Some, you don't know. Some, okay, so there should be the know. presumption of innocence. What? There should be the presumption of innocence. Until we have evidence that you are one, we assume the best. And oh, come on, man. Okay, let me let me give you a, let me give you an example. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> there are two cages. In one, there's a tiger that is just eaten, and another one, there's a tiger that's starving to death. Now, you shouldn't care which cage you go into because of the presumption of not being hungry. Now, if I tell you, I'm not going to tell you, and there's no way to know from the outside which tiger is starving and which tiger is so full it couldn't eat another one of your toes, right? If I were to say, you can't tell, would you want to go into either cage? Well, no. So don't give me this presumption of innocence crap. If there's a significant population riddled with problematic human beings, and there's another population not riddled with problematic human beings, why on earth would you want to take the first group? Right, like if you have a bunch of people, a bunch of elderly white people from England, right, not going to be a lot of jihadists in that group, I think it's fair to say. So you've got a lot of elderly white people who want to come over from England. Let's just say they've got savings, they're not going to go on Social Security or whatever it is, right? So you can bring those people over or you can bring over a whole bunch of uh, Muslims from North Africa in a place you've been bombing for the last 20 years. Hmm... <laughs> These people already speak English. They have resources, compatible culture. They don't believe in a manual that tells them to kill you. Or there's these other people. Huh. Well, I mean, come on. Uh, you, you, can't, you can't lump all these people to say, well, let's, you know, let's flip a coin. It's six of one, half a dozen of the other. Presumption of innocence, all right? Um, yeah, I, I guess that's a fair point. Yeah. I mean, listen. Two girls both want to sleep with you, right? Yeah. One has the kind of SDT, SD, uh, sexually transmitted disease, that turns your penis into a missile that blows off your balls. The other one knows how to deep throat. 
Which do you want to sleep with? <laughs> I'm not going to tell you which one is which. <laughs> yeah. It's 50-50 presumption of innocence. <laughs> Where did my balls go? Oh, got hit by a missile of political correctness and bye-bye Europe. Okay. So I so so where where I guess where where should the line be drawn then, right? So right like I, I imagine you you wouldn't, you know, su- you know, support, you know, where, where wait, they wait. were doing Do you mean in a free society? Like, huh? Do you mean in a free society? Uh sure. What do you mean? Sure, like I'm just like—is it no, irrelevant? No, so both, both. I guess in a state of standard. No, I, I'm not going to talk about which government policies should work. I mean, I don't care about the government fundamentally. I just want to get rid of it. So right. that's not um, where I'm going to come from in terms of like I think the government should do this. I think government should do that. I mean, that's you know, ideally, yeah. You, if I had a choice, if I could wave a magic wand and we lived in an alternate universe where that could mean something, okay. Uh, at least have an IQ test for people coming in. That's, you know, at least have an IQ test. And it has to be at least 120. Why? Because we already have lots of 115s here already. So why on earth would we import incompatible, potentially jihadi, potentially don't speak the language? Like, it'd have to be at least maybe 125 or more, right? Uh, there's going to be regression to the mean. But, you know, that at least, let's bring in people significantly better than we already have. And we already got a bunch of Jews. We already got a bunch of uh, East Asians. We got a bunch of people with IQs of 115. We got a whole bunch of people with IQs of 120, 130. So 135. Okay, 135, you're in, right? And uh, none of this, my wife has an IQ of 90. Sorry, because you're going to blend that together, and we're going to get somebody with an IQ of 100. So you and you alone, high IQ, in you come. That, you know, if, if like, that would never happen and, you know, whatever, right? Now, failing that, uh, in a free society... Easy peasy, nice and easy. Because if the, the majority of Americans did not want Muslims to come into the country. Oh, they're Christians. Christians have been killing Muslims. Muslims have been killing Christians for 1,400 years. And in fact, more Christians have been killed by Muslims than Muslims have been killed by Christians. Far more, although recently it's gone the other way. So they didn't want. So if in a free society, let's say that some guy, it can be guy X, doesn't have to be any, you know, some, some guy comes in that nobody likes. Um, let's say a guy wants to come in who loves to dress up like Hitler. Here we go. This is, this is the least offensive thing <laughs> that I can think of. And isn't it nice that I'm actually taking that approach for once? Guy comes in, he wants to dress like Hitler and to walk around screaming and doing the full-on Fuhrer Nazi arm salute the whole time, right? He's got the puffed out leg thing, the Eva Brown slouching along behind look-alike or whatever, right? So this guy comes in. Now, he comes to your town. He's got the little mustache, got the side comb, gooey hair. And uh, he doesn't speak English, only screams at people in German, right? He comes into your store and he wants a job, right? Yeah. I went to German, yeah! Uh-huh. You're going to hire him? Uh, no. No. Okay. See, now, now we're getting somewhere. Let's say you, um, you have a hotel and this guy wants a room, comes and screams at you in incomprehensible German or Austrian. You're, you're not even sure. And, um, threatens to release the hounds of Nazism on you. If you don't give him a room or whatever, are you going to rent him a room? No, no. 
No, you're not, right? Because he, you don't know what the hell is going to happen, but this guy is not who you want around, right? So he's not going to get a job. He's not going to get a place to live. The grocery store is going to put a big Hitler with a line through it saying, crazy Hitler guy, you can't come into our store, right? Because, I mean, if you're a grocery store and there's some Hitler guy in there saluting the cantaloupes <laughs> and invading the kumquats, which is a tragically underused name for porn films. But anyway, um, you don't want people clicking that in social media and say, hey, look, look what was at the Easy Mart down there. It's like, you know, being Hitler who's, uh, you know, wearing nothing but uh, uh, riding crop pants and bananas over his nipples. And, and then people are going to be like, that's not, I don't want to go to that store. <laughs> you know, the crazy Hitler guy is, is who they think. So that crazy Hitler guy is going to be ostracized, right? So he's not going to find a place to land. He's going to be like a helicopter over the ocean. Can't find a place to land. He's going to have to end up self-deporting, right? Because people aren't going to want him around. So I have no problem. Anyone goes anywhere, fine with me. But I demand for that to occur, the right to have nothing to do with that person whatsoever. With the welfare state, with government, with the government education, with hell, collective payments for roads, with the healthcare system in Canada, I'm forced to have something to do with that person because I got to pay their bills or go to jail. Now, in a free society, crazy, offensive, screaming, smelly, lacquer-haired Hitler guy, no one's going to want to have anything to do with him, right? Right. So he's not going to stick around. And you can insert whatever group you want into here. It could be anything you want in a free society. If people don't like that person, if they don't want that group, they have the right to say no. Right. So and I then anyone can come who they want, whoever they want. Right. So, but I, I, I mean, using your argument and I, this is, you know, I mean, look, th there are plenty of people who live here, uh, domestically who are going to have children who they're going to import through the uterus, uh, who are not going to be friends to freedom. So, I mean, so shouldn't the, the solution be, you know, you can't have children or you can't stay in this country, uh, or you're going to have to guarantee that you're going to raise your children, uh, with freedom values. No, no, this is why, I mean, this is why I talk about ostracism all the time. And you know what's funny is that people on the left, when I talk about, well, you won't have anything, you won't want to have anything to do with them economically. People on the left go insane. That's prejudicial, that's racial, that's bigoted. But every time a corporation doesn't, doesn't do something that the lefties like, what do they do? They boycott it. Right. And so, you know, like when the, when the pizza parlor, when the the... the the guy, uh, Indiana, I think it was, at the pizza parlor, the reporter asked some guy, do you think you guys would theoretically cater a theoretical gay wedding? He's like, I don't know. I don't think so. Don't theoretical, right? <gasps> gay people will, you know, starving. Indiana pizzeria wants to starve gay people. You know, like, and everyone boycotted. All the people on the left were like, well, we disagree with those values. Let's boycott them. Let's get them fired. Let's get them fined. Let's boycott them. Let's shut them down, right? And they're always organizing these economic boycotts and economic ostracism. And then the moment you talk about in a free society, undesirables will, will, will be kept at bay by economic ostracism. They're like, oh, that's terrible. <laughs> the left, if they weren't so dangerous, they'd be so, so funny. But um, so, 
Yeah, just just ostracize them. Yeah, okay, they're going to be kids there. So, you know, in a free society, right? In a free society, ah, let me tell you something. Okay, Donald Trump, not only did he, does he not spank his children, he himself was not spanked by his father, who was not an abusive man, did not. So this is a non-spanked individual, which is why he's so traumatic and overwhelming, because he's revealing the effects of spanking on other people. Is he a perfect man? I don't know, whatever that means. I'm sure as hell not. But this is a non-spanked individual. And um, because the vast majority of children in America are spanked, when they see a non-spanked individual who was raised with respect and love, kind of freaks them out. He's, it's, oh, he's overwhelming to them, and it happens at a very, very deep unconscious level, uh, which is why, uh, in particular, people who are abusive tend to rail against him, because he was raised in a non-coercive, non-spanking environment. I don't know many of the details, but it sounds not wildly dissimilar to the peaceful parenting stuff that I've been uh, talking about. Now, if, if in, in society, the majority of people are raised in a peaceful parenting environment, they will immediately see and understand those people who weren't, because the differences will be a, a night and day. The differences will be night and day. And the left survives on people being diminished, and Donald Trump is a big guy raised in a peaceful manner, and he's encouraging people. Uh, he's um, enthusiastic uh, about America and, and positive towards its future and so on. Uh, you know, it's not great. So not great for others. So in a free society, the people who, the vast majority of people will not be spanked, won't get a free society until the vast majority of people are raised, or at least a significant number of people are raised peacefully. And so in a free society, I personally would not want to hire people who've been raised in a violent, aggressive, hitting, spanking, verbal, abusive manner. Like I, I wouldn't want to hire them. Too much work, too much high maintenance. I'm sorry for them. You know, maybe if they go to therapy or whatever, things can be worked out. But I don't want to hire them. And so I think in the long run, and, and some people will, but, and then they'll learn that hiring somebody who's raised peacefully in a, 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 in a good way, in a peaceful negotiating way, is much more profitable than hiring some jittery, resentful, traumatized person who was beat up as a kid or spanked or hit or yelled at or abused as a kid. So the economics will take care of it. I mean, peaceful parenting is, the, the economic productivity of peaceful parenting is something that will blow people's minds when they ever get around to experiencing it. And so, um, yeah, they'll just be much more economically productive. And so they will be um, much more valuable employees and people will not want to hire the people who've been spanked as kids unless they've gone to therapy or whatever. And so those people will then go and deport themselves or self-deport back to uh, countries where there's more spanking and they have more in common with those traumatized people. Well, how are people going to, how are people going to know if people are spanked or not? I mean, right. I mean, people aren't generally going around saying I was spanked or I wasn't spanked. Right. I mean, were you spanked? Me? Hmm. No, I, I have peaceful parents. And do your peaceful parents, what do they think of the, um, the woman who said nothing can change my mind? I didn't actually discuss that with them yet, but I'm sure they... Have they, taught you, have they taught you how to recognize and deal with people who are irrational? I mean, well, I, mean well, I was sort of raised that we would discuss, you know, uh, you know my, I remember, and, I, and my grandparents were raised this way as well, you know, what did you learn in school? And I would sort of just repeat uh, 
what the teachers said in school and my parents and my grandparents also would say, no, I want to know what you think. So I was raised by parents who were very, you know, want to instill, you know, being question, question what you hear. And that's not what I asked. So, sorry. What did you what ask? What I asked was, did your parents help you to figure out how to identify with and detach from people who are irrational? You said your grandfather said this, right? Yeah. So given that you were interacting with this woman who had a strong dedication to anti-thinking, you were not trained very well on how to identify dysfunctional people and stay away from them. I guess not. Yeah, so, I mean, this is just part of the peaceful parenting thing. It's not just being peaceful to your own kids, but uh, teaching them how crazy the world is and how to stay away from crazy people. That's, That's a pretty essential part of it, for me, at least, right? So, because you weren't taught that, you don't know how other people could do it, but I don't have much trouble doing it. No, I'm not saying I'm not saying I don't understand how people can't be peaceful parents. I'm saying how are people it going to know that people were people were raised peacefully is is my question. They'll know. I'm sorry, I know that's not an answer, but I can't go through the whole thing. It's like saying if if I teach my daughter how to identify crazy people and she's raised in a sane environment she'll no more have trouble identifying people than you have trouble identifying people who aren't speaking English to you as not speaking English to you, right? I mean, how are we going to know if they're speaking German if you only speak English and not German? Well, first of all, you won't have a clue what they're saying. Secondly, they'll have the lacquered hair and they'll be doing something unholy to a kumquat. So, um, yeah, they'll, they'll, mean, they'll know if they're trained. Then they'll know. Mm-hmm. Were you in government schools? Uh, I was actually, I was, uh, I'm an atheist now, but I I was raised as an Orthodox Jew. So I went to like yeshiva up until college. Right. Yeah. I hated it. High school was the worst four years of my life. And, you know, they were religious hypocrites and, you know, like if you didn't pray, they would be very upset. But if people would like beat the crap out of you, I remember there was like a teacher who's like, I think you guys can figure this on your own where people like beating me up and I was sort of really annoyed with that. And that sort of made me sort of bitter I th- a little, you know, but no. So I, I went to religious school all my Jesus, life. I hope until more than a little. Huh? Jesus, I hope more than a little. Well, Four I mean, yeah, I'm not a fan of religion. Um, and- I, uh, I mean, luckily at home, my parents didn't shove it down, down my throat. It was more in school where it was a problem, but, um, yeah. What? But did you talk to your parents about the abuse and dysfunction that you were experiencing in the in the uh, yeshiva? Um, I mean, I told them when I was in high school that I hated it. Uh, I think they regret sending me there now. I remember I wanted a the third day I asked to leave, and they sort of wanted me to stay. Um, Why? Huh? Why? Um, I think they thought it would be. Uh, well, I know why they wanted me to go to a Jewish school, because I guess that's important to them, and people want to, I guess, instill what's important to them to, in their children, but I guess they thought that was the school that I should be at, and um, it was also an all-boys school, which I hated, um, but uh, which I, I'm not a fan of. I mean, I think most schools ideally should be co-ed, and, you know, that sort of high school is when you learn, I think, how to become comfortable with women, so I, I think that being an all-boys school probably didn't help. 
me uh, socially very much. Um, uh, but I think they regret it now. But when I was there, no, they sort of wanted me to stay for the four years. I was well, really more pissed. than sort of wanted you, right? I mean, it didn't sound like you could have much of a discussion of it because, um, right. I mean, you must have just hated it, right? Hmm. I mean, one of the things that I tried to do is I was learning a lot of nonsense in 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 my school, some of which was probably a joke. Like I remember there was a some of it was very ugly. I remember there was one 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 student who was giving blood after 9-11. And one of the, the rabbis in the high, high school said, you shouldn't donate blood. Someone's going to go to non-Jews. And I'm like, that's disgusting. And um, what? <laughs> OK. <laughs> I'm sorry, I shouldn't laugh. That's really yeah. like, is it like it, the Goyim livestock might get your precious Jewish blood? I mean, is that is that was that the general thought? There was a rabbi, although I'm sure he said it at a joke as a joke, who said, "If you're starving, there's a non-Jew." I thought I'd cry. Huh? Sorry, go ahead. I said there was a rabbi in my high school, although I'm sure he said it as a joke that if you're starving and there's a pig and a non-Jew, it's better to eat the non-Jew. But uh, yeah, if he'd said that about blacks, would people have found that particularly funny? No, I guess. But it's, no, it was more. Yes, but I mean, um, horribly offensive, huh? right? It's horribly offensive, right? Yes, yes, yeah. I'm not blaming you for it. I mean, you were trapped there as well, right. but that's no, yeah. Gruesome. And and Sorry, I think the saying school itself, I think, was very ugly too. And and the teachers were abusive. I remember there was this one kid who came during my senior year of school and most of the kids and he was dark skin and, 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 but he was Ashkenazi, which is unusual because most dark skinned Jews are Svart. And, uh, all the kids would tease him. They would, you know, call him nigger. They would say, why don't you join your family on my tree? And I remember once in class, uh, this kid bullied him and he like said shit or fuck or something. And that's all he did after this kid bullied him. And I remember, and I was really pissed, where the teacher in front of the whole class said to the kid, if you don't start behaving yourself, I'm going to have to put you in segregation. So, you know, the teachers joined in the bullying as well. But, uh, yeah, so anyway, so one of the things that I thought of doing to try to get myself not have to go to leave the high school early is they taught us a lot of nonsense. So I thought, you know, if I tell my parents what I'm learning in school— uh, they would send me out. So I, I, so I told my parents some of the stuff that I'm learning in school, and my father said to me, I know you don't really believe that. You're smart enough not to believe that nonsense. So that didn't really work. So a lot of what you were teaching and being taught in school, your parents recognized as nonsense. Right. But they wanted you to go. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Because of the cultural Jewish indoctrination? Is that... The idea? Um, probably, yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't think my parents are thrilled that I'm, you know, an atheist. Uh, I mean, you know, they accept me and and stuff, but um, well, but you're an atheist and not a socialist, I assume, right? Right. I'm an anarcho-capitalist. Yeah. Yeah. See, I mean, for a lot of people, you know, fine to not have the religion, but then you got to have the religion of the state. But neither is a problem, right? Yes. So, so let me ask you this, because I, I mean, I get this question or comment a lot, of course, when I talk about this stuff. Um, a, a lot of the Jews that I've talked to seem to be very pro-immigration, but not to Israel. Like, w w do you think that Israel should be taking a lot of Syrian refugees in? Um, it's probably not in their self-interest. Um, it's not what I asked. Uh, um, 
Man, that's hard. <laughs> uh, not really. Probably. I mean, yes or no? Uh, probably not. Why? Huh? Why? Uh, well, uh, don't don't you all value diversity? <laughs> Where, where's your multiculturalism preferences? I mean, why why is it bad? Uh, well, because uh, because they they sort of want to kill the people uh that they're that they're that they would immigrate to. Um, okay, so but but wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, hang on, man. Yeah. Didn't you just give me a whole speech about not judging people collectively? And innocent until proven guilty, my friend? <laughs> oh, uh, wait. Is that only for Christians? Is that only for white people? When it comes to your country, ah, things get a little different, right? Um, I mean, well, I'm not saying that they have a right to not let them in. I'm just saying it's probably not in their interest to do it. Um Come on. You know you're squirming, right? I, I don't mean to be mean, but you understand this is a bit tough to hear from the outside, right? You people should accept all these Muslims. When it comes to Israel, oh, man, they just be, they, they want to kill us. It's terrible. Yeah. Yep. Still there. Yeah. So, I mean, then this is what drives, frankly, non-Jews a little crazy. And I'm sure it drives some Jews crazy as well, too, right? But you understand this is like... Why is there this incessant demand that that non-Jewish countries take in all these incompatible cultures when Jews are paying Jews from North Africa to leave Israel, <laughs> right? Like, I mean, this is making no sense. There's no consistency here, right? I'm not, I'm not putting this on you, the whole thing. But you understand that there's been a bit of a reversal now that we're talking about Israel rather than, say, America. Mm-hmm. Right. And why do you think that? It, I mean, were you surprised when I asked you that question? Um, no, I mean it's a fair point, a, a bit, but it's a it's a, certainly a fair question to ask. Um, yeah. So why why is it this insistence on immigration to non-Jewish countries from incompatible cultures? But when it comes to Israel, like why, why do you think there is this double standard that Jews have? Well, well I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to judge collectively. I'm just saying that that. Well, I, I think a, a lot of people in the media seem to be very. And, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Jews have been killed a lot, and probably uh, to as to a greater degree than other groups. So they're they're more protected. I mean, I think that's probably the, probably the answer, right? I mean, do you not think that a lot of Christians were killed when the Muslims were taking Jews, taking Christians, the European Christians, as slaves by the millions? When the Muslims were advancing all the way up to the gates of Vienna, I've got this whole truth about Crusades thing that. Millions and millions and millions of Christians, probably tens of millions over the 1,400-year history of these conflicts, have been brutally enslaved and raped and murdered by Muslims. And uh, I don't know. I don't know in the war of who suffered more. I mean, I don't think anyone wins fundamentally. But I wouldn't also say that Jews have the exclusion, you know, like it's the massive, you know, throughout most of human history, uh, 20th century, obviously. But it's different. But when it came, you know, it wasn't the it wasn't the Muslims killing uh, the Jews in in Germany, but um, as far as Christians go, yeah, there have been a lot of uh, a lot of murders and enslavements and rapes of Christians by uh, Muslims. So it would seem like I don't know. It, I don't quite understand the double standard. That's all. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, it's probably also tribal. You know, I mean, I, right? Why did the Why did the rabbi in my high school say don't give blood to non-Jews? So it's probably you know, there's probably a tribal aspect there also. Okay, but then what's wrong with um, white European Christians being tribal? 
Why didn't the Jews say, yeah, we can understand it, man. We don't want them in our country either. Or is it if they go to the West, they're not coming to Israel? Or is it, well, it destabilizes countries that maybe Israel feels in competition to? I don't know the answer. I'm just, I'm, I'm brainstorming, so to speak. Right. Yeah. Why, uh, why? You think most Jews are pro-immigrant? I mean, yeah, maybe. Um, well, if most Jews are on the left in general, and most people on the left are pro-immigration, except with regards to Israel. Like Israel has a wall, right? Israel has a big giant wall, which is very effective. And then basically white middle class Christians in America talk about building a wall. And they don't get a lot of support from the Jewish lobby who say, damn, I can't believe it took you guys this long. We've had a wall around Israel for decades. It works really, really well. You guys should do it, too. It does make people a little bit suspicious, I'll tell you that. And I, you know, I don't know what the answer is. And, you know, if, if, if you're out there and you are of the Abrahamic persuasion, <laughs> you want to call in and, you know, set me straight on this. But, you know, people outside, I mean, within the Jewish community, maybe you seemed a bit surprised. Maybe people don't think about it that much. Outside the Jewish community, people kind of notice this, okay, Jews... Israel Jews. <laughs> Israel must remain Jewish. It is fundamental. If we let lots of non-Jews in, it's no longer a Jewish country. But then when it comes to Christian countries, it's like, oh yeah, you guys should take everyone. Everyone. Everyone who, you know, that maybe they hate you, maybe it's completely incompatible, maybe there's Sharia law being proposed in your courts, maybe there are no-go zones, maybe there are terrorists blowing you up, but you guys should take them. Absolutely. When it comes to Israel, we want a big wall and pretty much only Jews, right? I mean, that's, you know, it's a bit of a double standard, which I'm sure you can see. I don't need to labor the point. No, I agree. If, if Jews want Israel to remain Jewish, that's called cultural pride. If white Christians want white Christian countries to remain white Christian, I guess, what, all white Christians are now evil racist bigots. It, it just, you know. Mm -hmm. just, no, there's a double standard. I mean, Anyway, listen, talk to your Jewish friends. You can be the Goyim mole. <laughs> you can be, you, and seriously, I'm, I'm putting you, take, take this on if you want, because I'm telling you, you could do a lot of good to Christian-Jewish relationships if you go and find me a good reason for this double standard. Bring it back to me. Remember, you're anonymous. You're anonymous. And you can bring it back to me, and you can tell me the answer. So that all of these people in the comment section of my videos and in my inbox and wherever else people can get in touch with us, uh, constantly pointing this out, you can give us all a great answer that will put a lot of people's minds at ease. All right, I'll, I'll, I'll ask my Jewish friends. Do not talk to the rabbi in your high school, because I would not want to think that he's uh, represented I don't want to set Jewish thought as a whole. Again. So I'm not, no. I don't plan on going there. That was the worst four years of my life. I don't plan on setting foot there. So not a problem. Yeah, but ask them. Ask them. You can just say, ask them, what do you think of immigration to America or to, to Europe or, you know, the traditionally white Christian countries? And what do you think of Trump building a wall? And, you know, I'm pretty sure they're going to say multiculturalism, immigration to other countries is good and building a wall is terrible. And say, well, what do you think of immigration of these people to Israel instead? And what do you, th do you think Israel should tear down its wall because walls are really bad? I think you'll see a 180. I see you. Yeah. You can tell yeah. me. And, and, and I, know, I know Ben Shapiro's answer would probably be something like, because um, most Jews who are religious are not of the left, typically, right? So like where I grew up, 
you know, pretty much everyone in my school and in the community I grew up with was not, you know, of the left. And so, you know, I, I think, you know, people like Ben Shapiro would say, well, the people who, you know, they're, they're not Jewish culturally. So of the people who are pro, uh, immigration, but yeah. Well, okay. But, um, they still would not advocate immigration of non or anti-Jewish elements into Israel, right? I mean, in Israel, uh, they don't, as far as I understand it, I say they, right? But Israel doesn't particularly care about whether you're a God-fearing Jew because they've had uh, standards for for people from Russia, which are genetic tests. And I don't think that God shows up in the genetics. So I think that if you can prove Jewish lineage, you get to go to Israel. I don't think that there's a religious test to get into Israel. So I don't think that religion would fundamentally be the differentiator when it came to um, right. multicultural immigration. Right. Okay, yeah, I'll I'll be the mole. I guess. Good. And and this way we'll forgive everyone for there not being enough blood on 9-11. Um, and you can get us the answers, which I'm sure will put people's uh, minds at ease. <laughs> All right. Sounds fair enough. All right. Well, thanks, Daniel. Appreciate the call. Uh, I really appreciate uh, you sharing. I look forward. I'm serious about this, man. Go get us the facts. Uh, I look forward to hearing back from you uh, about all this stuff in the future and appreciate your call tonight. No problem. Great talking to you. All right. Well, thanks, everyone, so much, as always, for a gripping, exciting, thrilling uh, show. And um, love you guys uh, and the people who call in. It's a fantastic conversation. I'm honored and privileged, excited, thrilled to be uh, at the center of it, or at least a part of it. And freedomainradio.com slash donate uh, if you would like to um, help us out uh, with, uh, with the show. Um, we really need your support. You know, February is a short month, but the bills remain as long as ever, and we are doing... Mike, sorry to startle you out of your <laughs> late show narcolepsy, but what was our number the other day for downloads? You, you, 25 terabytes? Uh, yeah, in the last 28 days, 25 terabytes of downloads. So Yeah, that's, that's close to a terabyte a day. And, and we're down, you know, we've dropped down to 96K per second just because the, the bandwidth. I mean, this is like I don't want to go lower than that either because then quality starts no, we don't really want to get go So, um yeah, so, uh, you know, we, we're facing, like, ridiculous server bills, and it's crazy expensive to get this stuff going. And, you know, we keep having to buy more stuff for the show because we're growing, and that's natural. You know, we got, uh, over the last six months, we got 100,000 new subscribers. We just, we passed 80 million views on YouTube, and, of course, um, an equivalent or probably greater number of podcast downloads uh, as a whole. So, yeah, we really, really need your help and support. So uh, freedomainradio.com slash donate to help continue this massive push, this mad plunging push of philosophy deep down into the amygdala of the species. And uh, if you are going to do some shopping, fdrurl.com slash Amazon to help us out with that. Uh, thanks, everyone, so much, so much, so much. Have yourself a wonderful night. We'll talk to you soon.